700 years into the future, mankind will leave our planet, leaving Earth's cleanup in the hands of one incredible machine. His name is Wally. After all these years, he's developed one little glitch. A personality. He's extremely curious. And just a little bit lonely. But all that is about to change. to move around the cabin. This podcast is sponsored in part by Benjamin Hart. That's me! And yours truly, Zach Arnold. And by participation from listeners like you. So let's tune in to another episode of... IPC. 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 The Intergalactic Peace Coalition Podcast... All the galaxies, all for you. Hello, one and all. Welcome to another episode of the IPC Podcast. My name is Zach, and I'm very excited to have this awesome discussion with you all in tune tonight. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have a blast from the past one more time as we continue and conclude our picks arc for this summer of 2018, but given its popularity, this may not be the last time we talk about Pixar films. In fact, I can almost guarantee that we will bring up another Pixar film somewhere sometime down the road. But for now, we're wrapping things up tonight, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. This is going to be a very interesting conversation, to say the least. But if uh, I don't bring in my co-host, it's a very one-sided conversation, so I'm going to go ahead and introduce him now. You know him, you love him, he's been around for over 200 episodes. Back again, it's Mr. Benjamin Hart. How's it going, guys? Glad to be back, talking more Pixar, and a few other things that we'll throw in here and there. But yeah, it's been an exciting little run here. We've enjoyed talking about Finding Nemo, 
and Monsters, Inc., and we talked about a whole bunch of them back in the day when you guys had that great um, top five showing out and giving us all these suggestions that actually made this all these episodes happen. So it's going to be exciting to get into what we're going to talk about tonight. That's very true. That's very true. But before we get to that, before we go into the, the fun part, we also have some things that we do here at the top of the show, including a brief uh, brief news segment mm-hmm. i kind of slurred my words together a little bit there is it going to be one of those nights where i like just start combining words at random and it's like instead of brief news it's going to be bruise and you're going to think i'm talking about coffee all the time i would say it's getting late but i have a feeling we just I, I, started it, it just it just you know it just happens i know i do it if it's two o'clock in the afternoon so you know whatever yeah yeah it's hard to justify that because you could be yeah like you said it could be two o'clock and you're like it's late and they're like no it's not and it's like it is for me so well, i mean if i stayed up all night which i normally do yeah you know i'm tired so whatever for real though for real when we were discussing this episode you're like so what day do you want to do it on and you wrote me that at three in the morning <laughs> I was like, okay, dude, do you ever sleep, or are you just a machine? And, it's it's uh, possible. It's kind of... I, I could be just like Wally. I don't know. I was about to say, it, it could be like some similarities going on here, and uh, that is going to be our topic of conversation tonight is the 2008 film Wally. But before we get into that, we have some brief news to discuss and uh, unfortunately, some of this news is very untimely and very sad news. We just recently got confirmation from his publicist that the internet famous and the lazy town famous Robbie Rotten, played by Stefan Carl Stephenson, has officially succumbed to his bile duct cancer at the age of 43. Mm, so sad. So young, too. But I know, man. Cancer really sucks because I... Um, I work in sports. I work in the sports industry. And there was a, a gentleman who was the team photographer for one of the teams that I work for. And he admitted to us or, or came to us. I don't want to say it admitted. It's nothing to be ashamed of. But he, he let us know that he had cancer and that he was going in for treatment. But the doctors told him that it was going to be light treatment because it didn't seem very aggressive and that the chemo treatments wouldn't last more than a few months, and he'd be fine. So he was very peppy, very upbeat, very excited about his prospects, very excited about the fact that he had just become a grandpa, and he was only probably in his early 50s. He wasn't very old. And one week, he's saying, you know, goodbye to us for the night, and by the time of the next home game that we have, just 10 days later we get word that he passed away. Oh, man. Like, it was so abrupt. It was so sudden because he came in from treatment one day for for a game and he said, if that's the worst that chemo can dish out, I'm going to be fine. And then a week later, he's gone. And, like, the doctors still have no idea what happened. Like, it just took on an aggressive form really, really fast and he just didn't wake up one day. It was horrible. Unfortunately, Stefan Carl Stephenson had a very back-and-forth battle with bile duct cancer. He was diagnosed back in 2016. He went through very extensive chemo treatments, and it looked like it was in remission for a long time. Like, P- 
people were raising money online. He kind of became Tumblr and Reddit famous, got like a lot of internet fame. People were creating GoFundMes to support him, and he was raising like over a hundred thousand dollars to help pay for his medical bills and stuff. Like he was getting a ton of support, and it was really cool to see the internet community rallying around him the way that they did. Um, he gained a whole crap load of Instagram followers that were trying to keep up with, you know, how he was doing. And then I think it was like February or March of this year, he got word that it was back and it was in its most aggressive possible form and that it was untreatable. And at that point, he got rid of all his social media. He closed down all the accounts. He bid like a a farewell and then closed down the account. So people got a few screenshots of the statement that he made and started spreading those on the Internet And he basically said, I want to spend these last days with my family and friends. I don't want to spend it on the internet as much support as I've gotten. I don't want to be spending my time away from the ones that I love. And so that's what he did from February, March until August, mid-August. He spent the last little bit of his life with his loved ones. And I really respect that. I really, really do, and we honor him tonight. I remember watching Lazy Town as a kid when I was younger. Its final episode aired in 2014, so by then I was like in college and I wasn't watching it anymore. But I remember having it on the TV when my when my younger siblings were watching it. I remember sitting down and watching it, thinking, "What the heck is this?" Um, but you know, part of the reason why Robbie Rotten was so popular was because he basically was a college student (laughs) like his behaviors his mannerisms the way that he approached life it sounded very much like the logic and the approach of a college student and so all of a sudden he gained even more popularity because people related to robbie rotten so much and you know one of the ways that the internet honored him was by like making memes out of him and like there's this one that says Four pictures of a bear that'll make you say, that's not a bear, that's Robbie Rotten. <laughs> or four, four pictures of Jennifer Lawrence that'll, say, that'll, that'll make you say, that's not Jennifer Lawrence, that's Robbie Rotten. And it was just really cool to see the good side of the internet for once, you know? Uh, it, it's sad that cancer ended up getting the ultimate victory, but it's still really encouraging to see people coming and, and supporting somebody like that. Um, even in the worst of times. And, you know, just thinking of the impression that he made and, you know, the fact that how much, like, not just in, like, normally, like, everything gets mean these days, everything. But, like, there's very few that, like, make it into the, the, the discourse that are just, like, so, like, so part of the conversation and, you know, gets shared around so many times. And especially like these children's shows, like kids grow up with these things and they stick with them. But then even as it was going on and afterwards, it was like adults picked up on just like the ridiculousness of it and not like, yeah, maybe it was some of it was was at the expense of the show, but also it was like it was so funny and, you know, it brought so much joy to people. And then he I think Mm -hmm. he kind of embraced it. I think he didn't like take offense to I think some people maybe don't understand memes or whatever and yes memes can be you know distasteful at times but I think more often than not it's 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 kind of a it's weird it's how I think in a way it's it's a way that people our age express themselves 
And, you know, there's so many memes floating around, and I think it's just the way. It's not meant to be harmful. It's just the way we do things on the Internet. And to see someone like him kind of embrace that and go like, hey, people love me. People love the character. People are, you know, are just fascinated and, you know, think the character is really funny. And you doing it in just really, really crazy ways on the Internet, as the Internet does, um, it's great. So, you know, he's, he has left an indelible mark on the internet and the world abroad. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Like, I, I'm just looking up Robbie Rotten memes right now. Same, and same. It's, it's absolutely hilarious, some of the stuff that they found. Like, I found that one about Jennifer Lawrence, where you're like, four pictures of Jennifer Lawrence that'll make you say, that's not Jennifer Lawrence, that's Robbie Rotten. Um, they've even got some that relate to uh, to SpongeBob. Like, it's a, it's a Lazy Town SpongeBob crossover, and it's hilarious. Um, but it's... It's just really encouraging to see that you're right. This is how society shows that they're rallying around somebody. And I really respected that he understood it wasn't it wasn't about the the Internet memes. It wasn't about the Internet jokes. It was about the fact that he was endeared enough to be turned into an Internet legend. Right. And that's that's one thing that uh that i'm that i'm really gonna miss is his spirit and his his whimsy his mirth and the fact that he was very family oriented you know he he treated his family first he prioritized them like a lot of actors these days probably wouldn't and he embraced his role for who he was he didn't try to go beyond who he was or what he was just for the sake of popularity and that just says a lot about him as a person and and what kind of a mark he's going to be leaving behind now that he's no longer with us i mean mm-hmm. we've made we've made tributes on ipc before unfortunately you know we've we've had to say our goodbyes to to the likes of robin williams and sir christopher lee and other amazing talents and i know that he's really only known as Robbie Rotten on Lazy Town, but I, I don't think that matters. In in my opinion, I don't feel like that matters. He made just as big an impact on people's lives as some of these other actors did, and deserves just as much respect. So he's he's going to be sorely missed by me, by a lot of the internet community, by a lot of millennials who relate to his character, and by the people who knew him and loved him and respected him beyond his his acting roles as as a father as a husband as a brother as a son he's he's going to be missed on many fronts oh yeah totally and most of us would hope to be remembered as he will be remembered like Mm -hmm. you know like just you know there's so much rotten stuff happening rotten you see what i did there there's so Uh, much rotten stuff happening in the world there you made a pun yeah there's so much rotten stuff happening in the world today like it's it's nice to you know, to rally around something that is, you know, brings people joy, which are memes and, you know, this show. And I'm sure the kids that grew up with it have very fond memories of it. I did, I did not grow up with Lazy Town, to be honest. Like, that was kind of after my time. But, uh, yeah, just, you know, you can't help but appreciate this. Yeah. Kind of when, when you've got younger siblings, you kind of end up watching some stuff by osmosis. I Because you're just, you're just, a, you're just around it that much. And so, um, it's, 
It, it's not something that I avidly set time out of my schedule to sit down and watch, but when it happens to be on, you just can't help but also end up watching it for a time. So, I mean, it, I guess that's that's also true of parents. Like, parents of toddlers, they watch Sesame Street for the Game of Thrones references that they make and things like that. True. So, you know, they, they always find ways to, to make it accessible to, to the kids and the adults. And... Um, that that was one thing I respected about him. One thing I respected about Lazy Town, um, they they didn't encourage laziness. He was considered the bad guy because he wanted to take naps. You know, <laughs> yes. like that that's the worst part about Robbie Rotten. There's this one meme where he's holding a pillow and it's a clear blue sky, and he points to it and he's like, "It's a perfect day to do nothing." Like, that is completely my spirit animal. I look out oh, the window, yeah. I just groan, and I go back to bed. Like, that's what I wish I could do. <laughs> oh, it's so... daylight out? My time to go back to sleep. Exactly. If the sun's out, then uh, I'm not sticking around for that. And Sorry. Some people like sun's out, guns out. No, sun's out. Pull the covers up over your, over your face or pull the blinds down. It <laughs> doesn't rhyme or, or go together quite as well, but no. yeah, that's essentially what I would it's, be doing. It's true. It's more true than anything. But yeah, but yeah, he, this guy... Stefan and Robbie Rotten will be greatly, greatly missed. Absolutely. And it's kind of odd. You don't hear about bile duct cancer all that much. I'm going to have to look into it, but it sounds kind of rare. And it's unfortunate because once something gets to be untreatable, you're basically just left to live out your days as many or as few as cancer determines you've got numbered. And uh, I'm glad that he was able to get a few more months in with his family. Yeah, I'll, and, I'll just leave and it at that. And just for the sake of cancer, I'm holding up two fingers right now. I think you can figure out which two hand out I'm of two, two, two out of the ten, two out of the ten, and both of them are for cancer. Screw you, yep, cancer. Absolutely, cancer sucks. R.I.P. to Mr. Lane Murdoch and R.I.P. to Stefan Carl Stephenson. Both going to be sorely missed in their respective reasons. Uh, one thing that we seem to be missing um, is a certain Spidey superhero. He was lost to us in Avengers Infinity War, mm-hmm. although we have gotten confirmation that he's probably going to be making some sort of a return because we're getting another Spider-Man movie come uh, next year. So that's the other big piece of news that we've got for you today, the Twitter page for Sony officially announced this uh, this during this week that July of 2019 is the expected return for the Spider-Man series, and it's going to be titled Far From Home. Now, that leaked probably, what, a month ago that that was going to be the name? Right. But they I think they made Tom it Holland official. leaked it. Leaked it. <laughs> <laughs> Poor because, Tom. Because that's what Tom Holland does. Right. Right. Poor, he pulled poor, a Tom, poor Holland. Tom Holland. He needs to keep his mouth shut. <laughs> right. Right. Him he and really does. him and uh him and uh uh them oh, two. Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo, those guys are two peas in a pod when it comes to leaking spoilers. They've gotta have like handlers that keep up with them and stuff. <laughs> there's like there's just, like you can watch you can watch videos of Benedict Cumberbatch and Tom Holland in interviews and Tom Holland will just start a sentence and Benedict Cumberbatch is like, shh, no, stop what you're saying. I'll take this question. Like, Tom Holland just tells it no <laughs> one to stop. But thanks to him, we have this news. Or, you know, we did have this news about a month ago. And now it's official. And now we officially know when it's happening. 
And it's coming out July of 2019, and Avengers 4, the untitled Avengers film, Mm -hmm. is set for April of 2019. So we're getting a really quick turnaround. We're getting that spring to summer turnaround like we got with Avengers and Ant-Man, leading to speculation that this Spider-Man adventure may not be set after the fourth Avengers film, similar to how Ant-Man was not necessarily set uh, in, in complete... Uh, unison with Infinity War. Right. I am of the opinion otherwise because the the title Far From Home makes me feel like maybe he found his way back, but he doesn't exactly know where he is in the universe, and he's trying to make his way back to Earth. Well, okay, here's here's the thing that I keep hearing. I don't know where this rumor came from. I don't even know if it's true. It could just be a rumor. But I keep hearing people talk about how this movie is going to start, quote, minutes after Avengers 4 ends. So it's just going to be another it's going to be another continuation like it's going to be back to back to back kind of thing. Right. I I mean you're going to have like this is going to be a pretty big deal cuz you're going to have right before Avengers 4 you're going to have Captain Marvel, Captain Marvel, Avengers 4, Spider-Man right there, you know, three big Marvel films coming right then. Um and who knows? I mean the timeline they did kind of pull a pull a pull a zinger on us with Ant-Man and the Wasp having it set prior to Avengers, um, but I don't think that's going to be the case with this. I think everyone's pretty well expecting that Spidey will be back, um, even though he got dusted. But you know, I think you know it's uh, it's just going to be interesting to see how like you know if this goes and you know what's this going to look like for this thing because apparently Far From Home is going to mean he's in. Europe or something on a field trip I'm not sure I mean it could tie in with Avengers but probably not but you know him being an Avenger you know even if like everything's set back to the way it was he's still like he came off that he's an Avenger he's fought with the Avengers like what does that mean for Peter Parker and that's what I'm interested in seeing in this movie yeah I mean I, I I'd be okay if he was in some, if he was someplace like Europe, I would be much more interested in seeing him on another planet trying to make his way back. But seriously, I I think I think the best use of Hulk so far has been putting him literally in space with with Thor and doing yeah. that. Like I would love it if like Spider Man joined the Guardians of the Galaxy because he's got a spacesuit now and he has to find his way back to Earth. Like because like you got to wonder like if they are snapped back into existence, like all these guys, like, is he going to end up, is he going to be back on Titan? Is he going to be put back on Earth? Is he going to end up somewhere else in the galaxy? Like what's going to happen to him? Yeah. I, I can't, I can't say for sure. I really, I really don't know. Um, here is something that's interesting though. Something I did just from a quick Google search while, while, while we were talking, um, the list of Marvel films for 2019 kind of drops off after, um, far from home. So there's really not anything currently expected to come after it, which is interesting because if you're going to have a spring movie and like a late spring movie and then a summer movie, you would expect a fall movie to be kind of thrown into the mix as well. But yeah, right. so far, so far, nothing's been put in. But what's interesting is Captain Marvel is currently being listed as an adventure movie, not an action movie, an adventure movie. Mm. Avengers 4 is currently being listed as an action film and Spider-Man Home uh, not far uh, not, pfft, far from home see I'm looking at 
the little zingers that we've got coming up after this discussion, <laughs> and I'm getting sidetracked. Um, Far From Home is currently being listed as a science fiction film. Oh. So I don't know if we need to take anything from that, but, I mean, Guardians of the Galaxy was science fiction. I'm pretty sure. So I mean, technically, all of these are science fiction, but, you I mean, know. Yeah. But at the same time, like, I wouldn't classify... I mean, I guess, it, technically speaking, Homecoming was science fiction, but, like, it's more like, you know, you know, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, like, more of that movie than it is, like, about, like, superheroes. So, like... Right. I, that's where, at least where I classify it. So, like, where where do you go from there? And, you know, how do you, how do you kind of classify the movies? Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I'm taking all of this with a grain of salt, obviously. I'm not saying it has to be science fiction, otherwise it's going to suck. Like, I'm not going to be that dude. But it's just interesting that all three of those movies are all MCU films. They're all expected in 2019, but they're all put under different classifications. One of them adventure, one of them action, one of them sci-fi. Is there something to be read into that or is there not? I don't know. I guess we'll find out. Yeah, should be should be interesting. Still excited. It's going to be a big summer for for Marvel. I'm I'm just excited for all of the Spider-Man sequels that are going to be coming after Far From Home. I am too. That's the thing that I'm most excited for because you know, uh Sony and 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 Marvel Studios, we've got some ideas. Ben and I do as far yes. as what you can do for your Spider-Man sequels. You know, we've gotten Spider-Man Homecoming and now we've gotten Spider-Man Far From Home coming out next year. Let's just turn it into a saga, shall we? And they've proven pop- they've, they've proven popular. He's proven a popular character. Tom Holland is Spider-Man to us now after Civil War and Infinity War and Homecoming. You know, he he is he is our Peter Parker, and uh, so we've come up with some ideas for what you can what you can call after it. And uh, if you want to actually take us up on these names, then uh, come come buy the copyright from us because uh, we've officially copyrighted all of these now. Yeah, we um, and we've totally got inside sources. For these and all this kind of all, oh yeah all, abs- all that absolutely jazz. absolutely we can officially confirm quote unquote officially confirm end quote that the other Spider-Man sequels to come after Far From Home include the following the likes of Spider-Man Homeless <laughs> what else have we got in there Ben we got we got we got some others in there that are pretty funny I, we got we got Spider-Man Homeward Bound. <laughs> <laughs> I love Homeward Bound. Don't get me wrong. The second one was all right, but the first one's like a great, great adventure movie. Totally. So yeah, Homeward Bound, and then we've got Spider-Man Home Again. <laughs> <laughs> he was homeless. Now he's Homeward Bound. He makes it back, and he's home again. Now, wouldn't it be great if by this time they decide to take our... Um, are our two insectoid heroes and let them do some sort of a team up. It's about time. It's about damn time, I'm telling you. So my idea for after we do Home Again, we have a crossover with Ant-Man and we call it Spider-Man Ant Farm. <laughs> Can you imagine? We got to get that we got we got to I love Bruce Banner's line in Infinity War. So there's a so there's an Ant-Man and a Spider-Man? Like he's totally been mm-hmm. out of the loop all this time and all of a sudden these bug these bug inspired superheroes are showing up. So what are we going to get next? We're going to get Beetle Man. We're going to get Cockroach Girl. We're going to get, I don't know. <laughs> like, well, they're getting, somebody's getting Squirrel Girl. Squirrel Girl's Squirrel coming. Squirrel Girl? Yeah. You know, you know. Oh, my God. You know that girl from the, what is it, the ATT commercials? 
that the really the really pep the really the really peppy girl with the brown hair and the big eyes. I think so. Oh my god, she's yes, gonna be playing Squirrel about. Girl. Oh, is she really? Yes, I'm not kidding. Oh, I don't know what to think of that. I mean, I guess she fits the the peppy, super hyperactive oriented nature of it, but as a superhero, oh man. I like that they were embracing the ridiculousness of that. So. Could, isn't could, could be good. isn't she making enough residuals by all the reruns of her AT and T commercials that she doesn't need to do any more acting ever again for the rest of her life? You know who they could also get? They could get Flo, the progressive girl. She oh, would be. Perfect she's too recognizable. She's too recognizable. She she, that, she, would that, be, she, she would she's going to be doing that role when she's eighty. They just she would they, be so so perfect for that though. You got to admit she would be perfect for yeah. that. Uh, after after Spider-Man Ant Farm, this is my personal favorite because I'm a 90s kid. I loved Tim the Toolman Taylor. How about Spider-Man Home Improvement? <laughs> Got to keep with that home home uh, going. I mean, who knows? Like, you know, homeless, you know, obviously he gets back home. Maybe Aunt May just kicked him out because he's gone too far. Homeward, you know, Homeward Bound could be him going back to going back to Earth or whatever. Um, and Home Improvement, you know, could center on him, you know, getting his home place and trying to fix it up a bit. Well, fixing fixing up, like like physically and figuratively, because once he does make it back to Brooklyn, he's got to set things straight, right? So yes. he's like trying to fix up the apartment or wherever it is that he's living, and that's part of his life as his alter ego as Peter Parker. But then he's also trying to fix up the streets as well as Spider-Man. So Home Improvement's kind of got these double entendres and got a subtle nod to the '90s. If they actually wanted like a legitimate title. I think Homeward Bound would be a good one, and I think Home Improvement would actually be a pretty legitimate title. I mean, just saying. Legitimately, I'm curious how long they want to keep this home thing going. Like, they got Homecoming, Far From Home. Like, what's the next one going to be? Well, maybe it'll be one of ours. I mean, it would be. I, I, I'm I'm okay with any of these, and then. Um, Yours, yours is actually one that's getting pretty popular on uh, on Twitter right now. I actually just checked my Twitter page, and somebody else had a very similar idea to to the one that you did. Um, you you suggested um, something that was also a respect, a, a nod to uh, to stuff from the '90s, was it not? Yes, it was. Spider Man Home Alone. <laughs> Particularly proud of that one. And then and then somebody, uh, I think it's a friend of our of our buddy Jake Damon's. He he wrote me. Uh, Adam uh, wrote wrote. He actually quoted my tweet because I, I I put up a lot of these um, when I retweeted Sony, and then he retweeted me saying Spider Man Home Alone Two Lost in New York. <laughs> that's perfect. That's, that's perfect. That's literally perfect. What you need, and what they need could... to do is they need to get old Macaulay Culkin to play the villain. <laughs> yes, and you need a cameo by President Donald Trump. Boom! There you go. <laughs> drop the mic <laughs> and it's just the same cameo from the first movie it's just like exactly. you know you know tom holland exactly. just runs in and D- trump's like yeah over there and he just points and he just points exactly yeah he's, he's trying to like peter's trying to find somebody and they just got in the elevator and so he's like excuse me dude, where's the elevator where's the other oh it's over there and then peter just runs off it would be to- so totally brilliant. doesn't acknowledge this like oh i know you from somewhere i don't uh, no no no, it couldn't be. No, 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 no. He's he's not he's not gonna pause. He's not gonna look. Or maybe he looks at him when he's like standing in the elevator waiting for the doors to close. Like he looks back out into the lobby and he's like, "Do I recognize him? Do I know that guy?" And he's like, "Nah." 
and he goes right back to whatever it was he's doing. That would be hilarious. Because, you know, once Trump is, like, done being the president, he's just going to be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go back to being a movie star. He's just going to be in. He's going to get all the cameos. He's he's totally going to pull, like, a reverse Schwarzenegger. Like, he's going to go from politics into... um, in into movies and, and TV show appearances, like I, I guarantee it. Like he's going to, he's going to take that Twitter fame and that and that stardom, albeit however, you know, however it's being interpreted currently. But <laughs> I, I am very, very sure that he's going to be embraced by a couple of different studios that are going to want him to, to show up for publicity's sake, and he's going to do it. Yeah. So, yeah. it's it's inevitable. It's unfortunate, but it's inevitable. Yep. Well, well, well. I think I think we got Marvel all set up for now. Yeah, I think I think Marvel's good to go. Marvel, give us a call. The Spider-Man title department can just take a vacation. We've got it covered. Right. We're we're done. Spider-Man Homeless, Spider-Man Homeward Bound, Spider-Man Home Again, Spider-Man Ant Farm, Spider-Man Home Improvement, and then Spider-Man Home Alone. We've got the Spider-Man series covered, people. Just saying. Now, something else that we uh, intend to cover tonight includes the continuation or conclusion, however you want to look at it, of our PixArk discussion. And as we alluded to a little while ago, we're talking about the 2008 film WALL-E. Yeah. And what's interesting about this film, Ben, is it's not very (laughs) script-oriented. No, it is not. It's not about the writing as much as it is about character execution. And that's one of the things that I admire about this film. One of the many things that I admire, one of the many things we're going to talk about tonight, but I just find it really, really interesting that they took on this challenge of a challenging our perceptions of the future and B challenging animated movie making for the longest time. People had the idea that if you're not going to be able to see things in live action, then it's the story it's the characters, it's the writing that's going to have to help carry it. Because regardless of how you know excellent or poor the animation is, if you've got a decent story that goes along with it, people will watch it. Right. This movie does have a very compelling story, but the cast list is extremely small. It's not like they hired a whole bunch of phenomenal voice actors to, to play all these iconic roles, and it's like Morgan Freeman is voicing one of the characters or something like that. No, they did completely the opposite. They kept the, the writing to a minimal and made you focus on the character's nonverbal communication. You know, they're using hand signals, they're using their computers that are picking up on programmings and, and the foreign contaminants and what have you. They're using a lot of these other methods, and then spreading them to their compatriots you know there's one point where i think uh wally the main character teaches another character how to wave which is a form of nonverbal communication Mm -hmm. so there's a lot there's a lot of storytelling that goes on in this movie but in a very very non-traditional way and i think that's one of the things that stands out to me the most about this movie i mean it's it's amazing because the first 30 minutes of the movie probably features no dialogue and the 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 next hour is very minimal dialogue and the whole movie is very minimal dialogue until you get to where the humans actually are on the big ship um your main character never utters a word like he's wally is completely wordless and yet he has the most 
you know, expressions and stuff like that. And part of that, part of that, I'm sure, is credit to the fact that you have Ben Burt behind the voice of Wally. And if you don't mm-hmm. already know, he voices another um, slightly iconic robot, R2D2, and also provided the sound work for like, pr- like the basis for the sound work of like. You know Star Wars and Indiana Jones and tons and tons of other films. So like you know it 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 shows. I almost I get I get the R two D two feeling from Wally. Like there's several moments, there's several I like movements and sounds that feel very R two, but different, but different. Not not in a bad way. Like I feel like he Wally is his own character, and he is. You know, feels very unique, but at the same time, you get that. And he does have the, unlike R2, he has all these different moving parts that I love about him. And he uses them to the best of ability, but he also, like, he has all the sounds. He has all the things. He never actually. Well, I think he does say Eva. He does say Eva. Like, that's the only word he really says, I guess. He He says Wally. He says Eva. I think he says directive at one point, and I think he says earth at one point. It's so it's so like they do it in a way that like it's garbled enough that it doesn't feel it feels more technological based instead of like word based. Yeah. But it's still like you can understand him, but most of it is like you know the nonverbal hand motions, sounds, exactly. stuff like that. It's he, the, the dialogue may be there very very minimal, minimally, but it's still not used as a crutch. It's used, you know, all the other stuff, you know, not, it's not, it's not, you know, sign language either. It's just, you know, you know exactly what's going on, even by what he's doing, what he's looking at, what he's saying. So here's a challenge that, that I want to give to our listeners and maybe even one that I want to give to you, depending on how long your rental lasts. Cause you rented this movie on YouTube, correct? Right. Okay. I rented it on Amazon. So we've both got rentals that we're dealing with, but to people who actually own it, to people who are thinking about seeing it, here is a challenge to you. You mentioned closed captioning. I would recommend if you want to watch this movie in a different way, hit the mute button and watch it with only the closed captioning <laughs> just to just to see if you still get enjoyment out of it because i dare say that as far as understanding and relating to the deaf community this is one of the best examples of finding a way to kind of bridge that gap because you're right there's not a lot of sign language that goes on per se but because of the minimalist nature of the conversations that go on you can almost gather i would say 80 to 90 percent of the plot of this film without having to listen to what's being spoken yeah you can you can watch it you can see what they're doing and you know maybe the music maybe the the film score really does help And, and in some cases i feel like it really really does and in some cases maybe it doesn't quite as much but that's another conversation for a little bit later but i i would challenge you if you've seen this movie before and you want to see it in a different light hit the mute button and just watch it with the closed captioning and see if the the storytelling is still there see if the the story structure is still there see if you can understand the plot just as well because i would bet you that you can yeah i'm i'm watching it right now with captions and mm-hmm. you get like uh, he says "uh oh" a lot, which is actually something R two D two says "uh oh." You, you know, and uh oh, and he's got a lot of. There is a lot. Now that I'm thinking about, it, there is a lot of dialogue from Wally 
but it's not like dialogue. It's more words. It's more different words, and in, in more in the, the words feel more like sounds than words, and it's yeah. done in a way that still is not like telegraphing stuff to you. You are having to listen and see what he's doing to understand. But at the same time, like like you're saying, like it's the best. Like if you're deaf, this has to be refreshing to someone like it's almost like a silent film and i'm not saying that the sound effects aren't a big part of it because the sound effects of course there's incredible they totally sound are incredible they totally are incredible sound design with this movie but like it's not like you can't enjoy the movie without that it's all about right. the visuals and ultimately you're he they're telling a story with wally especially in the first half of this movie just through visuals just through so let's talk about the visuals for a little bit if we can because you you bring up a very good point something that that i wanted to bring up uh very early in the discussion so this is as good a time as any right um what did you make because this this was your first time watching wally all the way through wasn't it yes yeah and so i i've i've only seen it a few times it's kind of scattered it's one of those films that's really really compelling and really grabs your attention but it's not like one that you would put on repeat a lot. So when you watch it, you're kind of taking stuff in and you're processing it. And it's like one of those really big dinners that you have to kind of sit down and digest for a little while in order to kind of take it all in. But that that's just my opinion. The visuals that you see at the top of this film of a city that is laid to waste and machines that are broken and laying along the side of the road, and one little machine that's still going about his daily routine, but he's basically building more skyscrapers out of the garbage that humanity has left behind. Like, what did you make of Pixar's vision of planet Earth and the way that they executed it in their animation style and their visuals in this first half hour of the movie. It really is. I, I've been thinking a lot about this. Like, this feels like one of the deepest and could be the deepest and almost the darkest Disney Pixar film that we've seen, that I've seen at least. And, I mean, I well, think I, I, I think Disney and Pixar alone don't get enough credit for, like, touching on certain subjects that are important and some that aren't, you know, like people bring up the fact that like Bambi's mom is murdered. Like, you know, they don't shy away from like being pretty dark and disturbing and, and trying to, and scaring kids. And that's good. But I think this is more of a philosophical thing about, you know, right. the future. And, you know, we all know that it may not happen in our lifetimes. It may not happen in our grandchildren's lifetime, but you know, we are we're destroying this planet that we're on like we are totally yep. like mistreating it and the future that you see in Wally is not that unrealistic at all and right. you know throughout the film and you see this wasteland of just garbage and that's something that i've thought about in the past i'm like okay i mean i know like you know, you have landfills and like some of them get turned into golf courses but like at a certain point where are we going to put all this garbage? Like, we are creating so much garbage every yep. day. Like, how many, you know, yep. I take the garbage out every week in my own house, and I'm like, crap, like, we just throw away so much junk, and, like, it's just, it's never going to come back. Like, and we, you yep. know, I, of course, like, we try to recycle as much as possible because, you know, I'm aware of that. But there's only so much you can do, and, you know, just getting into, like, 
where is this all going to go? And it really is like it's a dark and disturbing. And just having like you have this cute little robot that is very relatable. And it's just in the, in this, in the context of the story, he's looking, he's lonely, he's looking for companionship, he's looking for, you know, a purpose beyond his, you know, designed purpose. But ultimately, he's in this setting that is very dark and very disturbing and very, you know, just secluded. He's he's alone. There's nobody. He's the only person. He's he's not even a person. He's a robot. He's the only one left yeah. on this planet. And even the other robots of his kind are dead. Like he's totally alone and he's looking for, you know, companionship and stuff like that. And that that alone is like creepy. But uh you know, you get deeper into this film and you know, you have stuff about, you know, how we treat our bodies and stuff like that too. Like you have all these people that oh, are now yeah. like self automation and how, how oh, we are, yeah. how we are getting lazier and lazier with that thing. And this just takes the extreme of what if we just, what if we just let go and just let robots do everything for us. And this is where it would be like, it's crazy how real this movie is. That's the thing. That's the thing is this movie is probably from a, from a, scientific side of science fiction perspective scientifically i believe that this is one of the most accurate representations of our possible futures that you could get from any franchise anywhere i agree and that's coming and that's coming from somebody who loves the star trek series i love star trek i would love to have this picture perfect pristine you know, conglomerate of different planets working together to, to take care of our quadrant, but that just doesn't seem like a very likely thing. Star Trek is an optimistic representation of where we could yes. go. It's the utopian and, style of it's mm-hmm. a it's an inspiration for here's where we could go if we concentrated on the right things and did the right things we could end if up we here. choose to. Wally right. is a more realistic of saying if we continue on the course we're going on right now, we're going to end up with Wally. Exactly. Exactly. And that's one of the most disturbing things is this movie came out 10 years ago. And they were working on it 12, 13 years ago. So yeah. they've been predicting this thing for almost a decade and a half. And it's still relevant today. And I don't think it's ever going to lose its relevance because it's set so far in the future that it can be considered like just straight up science fiction. That, that like it can just be treated as straight up science fiction. And believe me, I have taken in my share of science fiction. Like I like be, thanks to Netflix, I have watched all five of the original Star Trek TV series, which is literally hundreds of episodes of television. I have no life whatsoever. Um, and we've, we, we've talked and we've talked about and watched other sci-fi series. You know, we, we've talked about some of them here on the program, like Firefly, you know, there are plenty, plenty of futuristic expectations or predictions, everything from the comedic perspective of Futurama to the utopian of Star Trek to the dystopian of Firefly to the time travel portion that you get with something like Terra Nova. There are so many different possibilities out there. But like you said, Wally is the most accurate one I've ever observed. Coming from somebody who has watched probably several hundred movies in his lifetime and consumed a lot of science fiction, 
Wally is probably the closest thing to reality we can experience. And for the longest time, I thought that that was why people never talked about it. But you guys in the top five discussion proved me very wrong. <laughs> you know, I, 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 for the longest time, was under the impression that movies like Cars and Bugs Life and uh, whimsical adventures like Toy Story and The Incredibles, like those are going to be like the big ones that people really love, Finding Nemo, et cetera, et cetera, because they're just animation they're just stories they're just kids movies but no like wally finished like what number three in the votes i think behind toy story and the incredibles so when you're making your top fives when you're listening to ipc and you're coming up with top five favorite pixar films wally was in the discussion almost every list and i think it's justified i think it's justifiably so because it's such a great conversation piece it's one of those things where everybody can pick one element or one thing out of it and say, this could happen. This yeah. could happen. This could happen. And the way that planet Earth looks absolutely could happen. And that's what's disturbing. We could end up with skyscrapers made out of cubes of garbage. It's not outside the realm of possibility. And that's what's so disturbing to me. Yeah, that that opening shot really, like... You have Wally, and it's really close up, and you see him, like, you know, going, picking up garbage. And that's what really, like, I liked about the design of Wally himself. Like, he's he's very practical in the way that not just because he's just, oh, a cute robot. He actually has, like, you can tell, like, he's designed for a certain purpose, and he works for that purpose. And, right. you know, also, like, he can go up into a little cube, and it's realistic and makes sense that he actually works like that. It's not some... Because, like, certain robots can be, like... Even R2-D2 is, like... He's got so many gadgets, and realistically, like, all those gadgets couldn't fit into him at one time. But you can realistically say that Wally is a real robot that could work. Like, he could actually function on the way he yeah. does. Like, it's realistic like that. Um, but that opening shot with... Him, you know, he's really close up, he's doing his thing, and it pans out to this. He's on top of this giant skyscraper of garbage. Just, you know, the visuals are amazing in this movie. The, the, oh, yeah. The, the whole, you know, just the animation style is, is great. It's not the style, it's very realistic, but it's definitely, you know, they get, you know, it shows how it's it's very real and it's very, like, very lived in, as in it's, been lived in for you know and it has been lived in and really has not been lived in because the humans are gone and there's nobody left but you get that feeling it's there's an emptiness into it oh yeah oh yeah you 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 get the solitude from the quiet you know the lack of music that goes on you can just tell that there's no hustle and bustle going on in this city you can tell that there's no other people there's no other machines there's nothing but garbage and the one remaining garbage collector in the area. Now, here's the thing. Planet Earth's pretty damn big, okay? Yeah. Planet Earth is really, really big. Wally could be the last remaining one in this city. But who's to say that he's the last remaining one on planet Earth? It's implied, but considering how big our planet is and how much garbage there is, 
I'd like to think that there are others out there, but we're just not paying attention to them because this Wally is the one that the movie is named after. You know what I mean? Right. I'd like to believe that there are others out there and that maybe other Eve probes went out into the world and other parts because there were like, what, five or six of those different drones that went that, that were in the ship after Eve got picked up. Like, who's to say that they didn't go through South America, that they didn't go through Europe, they didn't go through Asia or whatever, and then this Eve got picked up in what's considered, you know, somewhere around the United States or Canada. Yeah, yeah. Just it's, a theory. It, it's, it, yeah, it's interesting how they seem to have a bunch of Eve probes, and apparently none of them are picking up life. And they right. also, like, and you have later on the thing how they apparently thought about, you know going back to Earth, but then decided, no, we're not going to do that. Um, but they're still sending probes back, just this whole automated system of sending probes back, and, and the whole mystery of that. It's a mystery. You're seeing everything from Wally's perspective, and you can put things together as it goes. Because I was watching this movie totally... I've seen bits and pieces of it through the years, but I haven't never actually sat down and watched it, so it was interesting to me to go, right. like, okay, I know she's a probe, but what's she looking for? And I realized, like, okay, whatever she's looking for, it's going to be in Wally's stash of stuff. Like, he's this, not only a, not only a... He's a bit of a hoarder. Yeah, he's a, he's, he's a scavenger, really, truly. He's developed his own personality, and he, instead of just raking garbage up and, and, just, and stacking up like a mindless robot, he's has enough of a personality to like, hey, this looks cool, I'm going to throw it in my in my little cooler, and this, and this, and this, and he's just cataloged everything. And... Just about. So, and he's like... I love his collection. Not going to lie, I really like his trailer. I I would love to look at some of the other stuff that he's collected. So meticulous. The things that he's picked up along the way, like I love the scene where he finds like a beautiful engagement ring and just tosses the ring aside and then keeps the box because he's intrigued by how it hinges open and close. He's, he's like, a kid. He's a little kid. Like a kid would be like, oh, ring, throw it. Like, ooh, cool box. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then he's got like a ton of lighters. And if you look close enough, this is this is one of the things. One of the things that I did with this movie was when I was looking at Planet Earth, I tried to see if I could find any connections to the rest of the Pixar universe. I'm looking for anything that might remotely give me some kind of inclination that this might be connected to this. I'm not necessarily saying that I fully, you know, adhere to the Pixar theory, but it would be nice to see some of those different symbolic nods and respects to some of the other movies. They do that a lot in Pixar. So I, I did that with Wally in this opening sequence, just trying to see if there's anything from other movies that might give me some 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 kind of nod, some kind of respect. And one of the biggest ones that stood out to me was the skyscrapers. Um, the the skyscrapers that we see in this movie are very pointed in nature. They're they're kind of pointy towards the top. And there's another franchise from the Pixar universe that has very pointed skyscrapers in them. Do you recall which one? We talked about them recently. Um, would that be Incredibles? It would be the Incredibles. I, I'm I'm a, I'm of the I'm of the belief that perhaps this city is something that is you know years and years down the road, but still loosely related to the skyscrapers that we got from the Incredibles. Possibly. the The other thing is there's a monorail system, You're right? That is kind of broken down and off to the side, fallen into disrepair from the BNL Corporation. 
There was a monorail in one of the big cities in Incredibles 2. That was like the big train that uh, that Elastigirl had to stop. So they're not uncommon to that particular region for the Parr family, and they're not uncommon to Wally either. Uh, but the big one is very, very subtle and very, very quick. I just happened to get lucky and pause the movie at the exact right time to catch this. But he's a he's a collector of shiny objects, including the cigarette lighters. That's one of his big things. When you're going through his stash and he's putting the lighter in with all the other lighters, you can kind of see that he's got like 10 of them or something like that. Like he's he's found several over his time, but not all of them are exactly the same obviously by and large has basically bought the entire town like there's the by and large bank there's the by and large rail there's the by and large shopping center there's the by and large this by and large that everything is from bnl however one of his cigarette lighters if you happen to pause it and look at the ones that are kind of in the shadows not necessarily in the foreground but they're more like in the background there one of the lighters actually has the Dynaco logo oh on it, God. and not the by and large logo. Oh, bye. Dynaco is from the Cars universe, obviously, hosting the Dynaco Blue and the Dynaco 400, but there's also a Dynaco gas station in the original Toy yep. Story. So, what I'm trying to figure out, what I'm trying to process is is there some sort of connection? Is, is there some sort of connection between the huge conglomerate Dynaco and the huge conglomerate by and large? My theory is, given the natural evolution of things, Dynaco would eventually get so big that they would just start buying out other companies. And when they did that, they started getting larger. <laughs> it's kind of a cliche if you're putting it in, like into really, really super serious effect. But it's not outside the realm of possibility. I mean, look at Disney. You know, they're buying out just about all of their yeah. competition and turning into a huge multimedia conglomerate. And before you know it, they may buy out or, or form a partnership with a telecommunications company. You know, I, I see them buying out Sprint one day or Verizon or something like that. And then all of a sudden, if you want... um you can, you can get Disney Internet, you can get a Disney mobile plan, and that mobile plan comes with access to these Disney-sponsored channels, and you can watch them on the go on your device, wherever you go, you know? Um, maybe they buy out a restaurant chain, and everything becomes a Disney-oriented food, or something yeah. like that, you know? If you, if you do that, you become a conglomerate, the way By and Large did. You gotta start somewhere. Why not start as a gasoline company called Dynaco? I mean, it's possible. I love also, I mean, let's face it, more social commentary with, by and large. And being mm -hmm. being that, mm -hmm. you know, maybe not so much back in 2008, but definitely right now, we are in the age of mega corporations. We are in the age Oh yeah. And Disney who made this movie ironically or unironically, it you know, Disney is as you said buying a lot of stuff. You have Amazon buying a lot of stuff. Like the richest man in the world is the, also the CEO of Amazon. Like and speaking of our aforementioned current president, a guy that was formerly known as a big businessman and someone who is thing, he's now the and in this movie, by and large, is apparently like 
a corporation, but also is powerful enough that they they like at least own the city, if not the entire country. And the president of right. this company that is addressed as the com- president of, by and large, is the president of the quote United States. So right inferring that by and large in the United States are the same thing whenever this happened. So, you know, going into, and it's like, you know, I've joked about it before, like, you know, Disney and Amazon and whatever other company, they're just going to get together and they're just going to buy the United States at some point. It could happen. Obviously, in this universe, it did happen. Not entirely outside the realm of possibility. And it's interesting that they're able to do such foreshadowing like this. Here's something else that I noticed that maybe you caught or maybe you didn't, but did you catch on to the sound that Wally made every time his solar panel reached full charge? I don't make, I'm sure I did. I don't remember though. It sounded a lot like the windows boot up chime when you power up your computer. Yeah. Yes. I love it. Yes. So, I mean, maybe Windows merged with, by and large, as well in this instance in the future. And they helped produce, like, these kinds of work vehicles. I I don't, I I, I can't say. But I also don't think that that power-up noise was by accident. No, no. You know what I mean? Now, one thing that I did like about um, Wally as a character, you mentioned that he had some resemblances to... uh, to R2-D2. One of the other references that I caught from this and uh, maybe some other Trekkers caught onto this as well, he reminded me a lot of Mr. Data from Star Trek The Next oh, Generation. Yeah. His, his interest in human behaviors and some of their traditions like singing and dancing and holding hands, obviously as a robot he's not exactly fully capable of experiencing such feelings as much as he wants to. He, he doesn't quite have like the programming to experience that. And yet he's still intrigued by it to the point that he will do everything he can to mimic those so that he can get as close to that experience as possible. That is exactly what Mr. Data does until very, very late in the series and, and into the movies He's incapable of understanding emotion. He's incapable of experiencing human realities. Even though he can simulate them, he can process them, he can put them into algorithms to try and, you know, make a a computer logic of it. But even then, he's not capable of a true human emotion like fear or angst or love or anything like that. And so Wally is kind of doing something similar with this human mimicry where he'll watch stuff and he'll imitate it and he'll collect things. Yes, he's got an attitude. Yes, he's different from the other Wally characters, from the other Wally robots. I love the fact that when he got up one morning, he groaned as he was putting on his tire treads. You know? Like, he does have a personality to him, but it's almost like a dog's personality or something like that. Um, my dog, my parents' dog, Anytime we try and get her to get up and go anywhere, she lets out this loud harumph, like, you are so inconveniencing me. And it's pretty comical. And when I heard Wally groaning like that, it almost sounded like my puppy dog, to a certain extent. So, he's not human. 
and yet he's got these human qualities that make him relatable to the viewers on the screen, even with minimal words and minimal contact with the outside world. It's fascinating the way they were able to put all that together. Yeah, you're right. Well, so far, this has been a really, really lively discussion covering all the ins and outs of planet Earth. But there's also some really awesome escapades up in space. So we're going to transition that direction on the other side of the break. For now, we're going to hit the pause button, go to a brief program identification and commercial break. And we'll see you on the flip side as we continue our discussion of WALL-E right here on the IPC. Greetings, this is Obi-Wan Kenobi, and I have drifted into the underworld. The Star Wars underworld. I have a bad feeling about this. Hey, y'all, this is Ben Hart here. I know y'all just heard me on the IPC talking all things geeky and fun. Now I'm here to tell y'all about my other podcast. It's called The Star Wars Underworld, about all things Star Wars. We talk Star Wars The Clone Wars, Star Wars The Force Awakens, Star Wars Last Jedi, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, and so much more. I record it with my friends Chris and Dominic, who are here to tell y'all all about it. Hello, Chris. Hello, Ben. I'm so excited to talk about Star Wars this week. It's fun. It's funny. We're going to have a great time. Hey, guys, I am so nostalgic for mall packaging, and I love being on the Star Wars Underworld podcast talking all the latest Star Wars news. Well, now that y'all had a little taste of the show and you know what to expect, you should check out more episodes by going to StarWarsUnderworld.com or by searching for the show on the iTunes, the Apple Podcast, the Google Play, and all sorts of things. And may the Force be with y'all. It's a wrap, eh? This is IPC. And we're back from the break. You are listening to the IPC podcast, and we're discussing the movie WALL-E tonight. Uh, we're going to kind of wrap up our discussion of planet Earth now and kind of start transitioning our way into outer space, which is where a bulk of this movie is. But, Ben, I have to make mention... One of the things that we were talking about before the commercial break was the similarities that I saw between Wally and uh, Commander Data from Star Trek. And I think nothing hits home more about this little robot's personality than when Eve finally finds the plant and just kind of goes into power saving mode and he goes mm -hmm. into full on protector mode. Like, for days, it seems like, he is doing everything he can to keep her dry, to keep her safe from the, from the radiation winds and things like that, and he's not even working. Like, he's not even going to work, he's kind of given up on it for a while, and then just when he's ready to, like, think that she's not going anywhere, and he does go back to work, that's when she gets picked up. Irony of ironies, right? I, I, I love, like, near the beginning when... He, she's just quote unquote dead. She's not moving or anything. He takes her up to the top of the truck and sets her out in the sun, like because that's his only concept of like when you're low on power, True. you gotta be in the sun. True. And you know it's so cute. Yeah, I mean then uh, 
like he's he'll be playing video games while she's sitting there and he'll be holding an umbrella over her and he got electrocuted at one point and what's really cute is because she's in power saving mode eve has no clue that he's doing all this stuff for her until the captain takes a look at her video logs and she sees him doing all of these things like way way later and instead of treating him like this obnoxious little buddy she recognizes that like there's a there's a there's a something special going on there and right. and that becomes really really touching because it's almost like at that point the robots develop feelings or something and that's a very abstract concept in my opinion that's not something that gets covered a lot maybe the disney movie robots or something like that but for the most part robots are supposed to be absent of feelings androids are supposed to be absent right. of feelings and yet by the way that they talk the way that they carry themselves the fact that eve giggles at some of wally's antics sometimes it, it makes you think that maybe these robots are developing personalities and that's a theory that i've got aboard the axiom and i guess we might as well just go to the axiom you know Absolutely. Like let's just let's just transition to talking about life aboard the Axiom because according to the captain it's day two hundred and fifty five thousand six hundred and forty two. They're celebrating their seven hundredth anniversary of a five year trip. Like holy smokes, they are way overdue. <laughs> five years. They are way overdue and Humanity has evolved slash devolved into the Pillsbury Doughboy equivalent of humanity. And it's it's so weird to think about how the things that they advertised as convenience have become commonplace and expected in their lives. You know, these helpful droids have now become servants. These hover chairs for grandma have now become common chairs for everybody to carry themselves around in. Like, everything that was supposed to be just helpful has now become a part of their lives so much that they literally can't think, live, or function without it. It's, I, I love the, 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 the captain's portraits in the, ca- in the captain's office yeah. on the bridge. And it's all, it goes through all through the years, and they start out, like, normal, and they get progressively, like, fatter and fatter, and it's, like, thing, and, like, they're just, like... Like they don't, and then you have that dramatic moment when the captain like takes his first steps. Yeah, <laughs> because they've they've never had a reason to walk. They've always from from literally from cradle to grave they've been completely reliant on these robots. And you know it's it's again it's all about you know like this is kind of where we could go with this. Like we're you know developing technology right now we're developing robots and stuff like that that could easily take care of us that could easily replace humans and the robots are running this place the robots oh, are yeah. flying the ship and the, and the, and the humans are just along for the ride even the captain doesn't know what's going on like he's totally oblivious to the whole plan and then it comes down to like you know him just you know being like he's mad that he didn't get the announcement in the morning because that's the only thing he does is make the announcement and he's mad that he didn't get woken up for it like just stuff like that yeah like his job is more of a figurehead now because everything's been on autopilot for years and years now and the autopilot's just been programmed to never return to earth just that that's it's simple right. just stay out there 
life is better aboard the Axiom. At least humanity can survive out there on the Axiom rather than trying to come back to an inhospitable environment. And that's one of the interesting subplots of this story is, you know, there's there's life again on Earth. Eve is the first one in over 600 years to discover that there's something livable back on planet Earth. And that really messes with the autopilot's directive. And apparently directives are like a big thing in the Wally universe because Eve has a directive. And uh, autopilot, auto, has a directive. And uh, that protocol is A113. Uh-huh. Have you noticed that A113 shows up as a cameo of some kind in every Pixar movie? Yeah, I, I've, I've, I've caught mention of this, that it's a little Pixar Easter egg. It's like 1138 in Star Wars. Apparently, yeah. Um, a, A113 is, uh, is like a room, I believe, in the Pixar studios. Uh, the California Institute of Arts, actually. It's a it's a room from the California Institute of Arts, and apparently that's where a lot of the animators and producers and directors from from Pixar took courses at the California Institute, and so they've got fond memories of room A thirteen A one thirteen, and uh, so they try and include it in every episode. So this is a this is probably the most prominent. Uh, recognition of that directive of that of that Easter egg. Uh, other times, it'll just show up on like a license plate or something. You know, it's, it's yeah, yeah. Very... I think it, it, other times it's just been very vague, but this is like it plays a part in the plot actually, which it's I think very is the first time it's actually done that. Yeah, yeah, it does. And going back to the personalities of the robots, that plays a really big factor into you know them having certain control over the ship. But at the same time, if those personalities get too far out of control, they just get sent down to maintenance, and it's almost like a jail for robots. You know, like yeah, there's there's cleaning droids, and there's 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 uh there's the cleanup crew, and there's certain um, steward droids that you know aren't following pre- pre- uh, regular protocol, and. Eventually, somehow, even Wally get associated with them and get called rogue robots or something like that. Caution, rogue yeah. robots. And Eve is pissed that she's getting associated with these guys. And I can't help but wonder if this is like the robot equivalent of the insane asylum or something. Like this is yeah, where yeah, you send. Right. This is where you send the ones that have too much personality. It's okay to have some personality because. Robots like Otto need to have personality in order to kind of execute their little devious plots, but at the same time, you can't have so much personality that it ends up causing essentially a mutiny on board the ship, which is basically what it ends up becoming. Well, it's it's funny, I think, of course we're introduced to Wally on Earth, and he's isolated. He has developed his own personality on his own, right. and it's almost like he... His personality, him coming aboard the ship, infects all the other droids. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use droids and robots as intervals here because I'm a Star Wars fan. But whatever. Um, but like, it's kind of like he infects them with his like thing. So in 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 a sense, they start a a, a rebellion on board the ship because of Wally coming aboard and causing a ruckus. Yeah, 
Yeah, and and that's that's another interesting dynamic to look at is the other robots have been affiliated with each other for hundreds of years, so their personalities have been evolving based on interactions with one another. Wally's right. been isolated this whole time. And so it's almost like his personality is disrupting the status quo that they've been living with for centuries. Even though he's not that much of a troublemaker, he just fell into a couple of accidents, you know? And it was all just because he was trying to keep up with Eve and keep her safe. But over time, he, like, ends up becoming the leader of this mutiny or something like that. And then um, doesn't want to go back to Earth. You know, I think at one point Eve tries to send him back in an escape pod so that things will go back to normal, so that things will go back to status quo. And uh, he, quite by accident, ends up, you know destroying his escape pod sets off the self-destruct and of all things i never would have thought of this i literally never would have thought of this and yet it's super clever he used the fire extinguisher to propel himself back to the ship (laughs) like i never would have come up with that whoever came up with that was a genius because you've got to have some momentum to get you through space but how do you do that if it's not pressurized the only thing that I'm worried about is, like, the void of space possibly contracting the canister a little bit, or maybe causing a leak of some kind. I'm not sure how the science behind it works exactly, but that was the only thing that confused me. I was like, wait a second, he's in the middle of nothing, and yet this pressurized air inside the fire extinguisher is able to release... I'm not well, so sure I mean, about that. Also, also, you have to remember that they're talking to each other, and they can right. hear each other, and there is sound in the vacuum of space. It's not very scientific. It, but it's visually stunning. Oh, it's, it's beautiful. It's yeah. absolutely beautiful. The stars and the the engines that they're kind of dodging and weaving through, and the, the music that's going on... Uh, behind it is just uh it's it's an amazing sequence it's an absolutely amazing sequence i think they call it defined dancing because the captain is looking at what dancing is up in the bridge while they're out there dancing through space and yeah, he's like all of a sudden has a curiosity to like learn about earth like because he thinks because he can people, go back like, yeah and he thinks you he's know, got a chance to go all, back yeah and this whole time they're just like out in space. And these people probably have no concept of what Earth is. This is 700 years after they left. Like, their great-great-grandparents are the only ones that know what, what that knew what Earth was. So, you know, it's fascinating to, like, come in and, like, he's just looking up stuff on, on whatever their Google is or whatever and just, you know, seeing, like, all this different stuff. I, I love it. Well, yeah, and then he thinks that pizza grows on plants, which is hilarious. Because, you know, I, we're gonna, I'm betting... We're make pizza plans! I'm betting that he's never eaten a solid food. Because everything that they've been consuming, at least from what I can observe, has been in milkshake format. You know? Have, yeah, a, have, right. have, a, have a burger you can drink. Have fries that you can drink. They're probably looking at these things going, what the hell are fries? Like, what the hell's a burger? Nobody's eaten solid food in so long. It's just loaded with with carbs, essentially. And 
So to think that you could actually eat something that came off of a plant, I bet that alone was intriguing for him. But considering he's centuries removed from plants and the food that grows on plants, everything is synthesized proteins, if you will, he has no clue. And it's really interesting to watch a rediscovery of Earth, if you will. Like, you're exploring the depths of your version of the internet, learning about things that nobody's really, really learned about for so long. Even the kids. Like, when when you first get on board the ship, the kids are learning the alphabet, but it's from the Axiom's perspective, you know? It's A is for Axiom, your home, sweet home. (laughs) B is for, by and large, your very best friend. Like, everything is in the context of the ship. It has very little context of planet Earth. I have a hard time picturing what humanity would be like if it was centuries removed from the Earth. I mean, Firefly is maybe a good example. You know, the Earth got used up, so they just went to another solar system. But what yeah, that's if all you, they ever say in that show. Yeah, after the Earth was used up. For all we know, that that could be another expedition that left from Wally's planet, you know? Like, maybe yeah, there's... What, what, if, what if Firefly and Wally are in the same universe? And the Earth got used up, and certain members of the American and Chinese government decided they didn't want to fall into the by-and-large corporation trap, and they just left and tried to find another solar system. And four, five, six hundred years down the line, they do find another one, and they've got the society that we now know as the Firefly universe. Boom. There you go. It's it's the same. It's the same thing. Not really, but still. <laughs> um, <laughs> what what was something that stood out to you about the Axiom, Ben? Because I've got a couple of things that that really, really stood out to me and intrigued me. But I'm I'm curious what your thoughts are on. A ship like this, because we've seen Firefly-type ships. We've seen Millennium Falcon-type ships. But we haven't really seen very many ships that are meant to be lived on, aside from maybe the Enterprise on Star Trek The Next Generation. But even then, that's like 1,000, 1,200 people max. Like, this is a generational starship. It's not really something that gets explored all that often. Yeah, it's, it's interesting how, like, I'm sure... There's other movies where we've seen more serious versions of this. It's because it's Wally, a Disney movie, that we can kind of poke fun at it, even though it's dealing with a very serious topic, which is like the salvation of humanity. Like the survival of humanity literally is within the confines of the ship. Yeah. Um but it also like it's very realistic. Like, yeah, if you spent like hundreds of years in space you would probably develop some bone loss and you would probably get fat because you're not doing anything. You're right. getting pushed around by droids all the time. Right. Like it makes sense. It's ridiculous. It's funny, but it's also kinda true and kinda real. Right. And, and then, which is a lot with a lot of this movie is like it's it's really it's very funny, it's very cute, it's very heartwarming, but it's also very, very real, very, very like you can look at this and go like, yeah, that might actually, that would happen. Like, that would that would be a thing that would happen, like, to people that spend 700 years on a ship. Like, you know, it makes sense. So, you know, to have it in this ridiculous circumstance, but to still be able to apply some logic to it is great. And, you know, just this whole thing of, like, 
this 700 year old ship but it's it doesn't it looks brand new still which is cool like and just the whole design of it and all this kind of stuff these roads and stuff like that these all these robots going it's just visually it's stunning and you know, but well, it's because also it's almost again, like a little ridiculous. city because there's just so much happening and so much going on. It's like a hustle and bustle, but it exists within the confines of a spaceship. Right. Exactly. So here's the thing that that I find most conversational uh, about this movie in general is how you were mentioning how real it appears. The extrapolation that they take seems to have some science behind it. There seems to be some very accurate projections as to what could end up happening to humanity. In Incredibles 2, the screenslaver talks about how people are are subject to their to their screens and to technology and it's very yeah. forthright. It's very direct. It's very to the point. That that monologue hits home with a lot of people because there's there's certain generations that feel like this technology is a bad thing and that it's it's taking us down a terrible path. And so they're confronting the issue. It's really interesting yeah. how Wally confronts the issue indirectly. It doesn't look at it with this abrupt statement of technology is bad. We must avoid it. It's saying, here's what's going to happen to you. Here's what could end up happening to you if you continue doing things this way. And the fact that they're using this approach, the, the fact that they're telling us this is where we're headed without actually saying this is where we're headed, it appeals to a very intelligent audience. It appeals mm -hmm. to those that are reading between the lines and recognizing how horrible is it going to be if we get proud of a human being for taking his first steps in his 30s like a baby does for our generation today after a few months, you know, like it, yeah. it it's almost too real in some cir circumstances to the point that I honestly felt like this movie was falling by the wayside as far as popularity and notoriety goes because of how realistic it is. I, I felt like for a long time until we did our top five episode that this movie was too true to life. That it was so disturbing, that it was so accurate, that people avoided watching it, that people avoided participating in it, or, or watching it even, like, on a repeat basis, because it's too confrontational. Because it gets to you and says, you know, this could happen to you, and people don't want that. They don't want that splattered in their face. They don't want to know that this is their future, even though it's whimsical, even though it's zany, even though it's crazy, yes, I'll give you all that. There's a lot about it that still disturbs me to this day. Yeah, well, I mean, but it also, like, it stands as a warning. Yes. It stands to teach us all a lesson. I mean, look at all the lessons you can take for this movie. You can, it's talk about, you know, recycle properly. Yep. You know, take care of your trash. You know, take care of the planet. You know, you know take care of the environment. Um, take care of yourself. Get some exercise. Um, be self-sufficient. Don't rely on other people or other robots to take care of you. And, you know, and just be be better. And, you know, as I said before, like, this movie represents, it's a, it's a 
pessimistic or more of a realistic version. Like, even though it's very cheery, you've got this, you've got this, you know, this robot, Wally, who's very fun and funny and cute, and you've got this really whimsical ship. Like, there's some dark undertones. There's some darkness to this movie that's right under the layer, right under the surface of, like, this could be us. This could really truly happen. This is a reality that could actually happen. And, you know, that's really awesome. Like, and that's, I mean, I'll be honest. If I had seen Wally before now, it would easily be up in my top five. Easy. Because I really, really enjoyed this movie. And I think just the whole. The whole discussion, the whole, like, I like thought-provoking stuff. I like to think about things, all right, people? I like to talk about things. I podcast. Like, you know, of course I want to dive deep. I like it when a movie actually gives me something to go deep into because sometimes I go way too deep in things that aren't that deep. But this movie, you can keep talking about it and talking about it, and you will still not get to the bottom of it. It's got a lot of layers to it. I'll give you that. It's definitely got a lot of layers. And the fact that the movie is, like, 10 years old and is still generating conversation today i think is a credit it's a it's a credit to the movie makers it's a credit to how everything came to be um i'm just going to the imdb page and trying to find like some fun facts and trivia uh about this film just because i'm so intrigued by the behind the scenes nature of it um let me see Andrew Stanton and the Pixar team watched every single Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton movie that exists every day during lunch for about a year and a half. It was to inspire the possibilities of pure visual storytelling. Because like we said at the beginning of the, of the show, it didn't have a whole lot of spoken word. It was all about what you saw, what you heard. And, I mean, it makes, it makes sense. Um... Let me see. The the last piece of debris that clears away from Wally as he leaves Earth's atmosphere is the Russian satellite Sputnik 1. <laughs> yeah, it's stuck to his face. Uh, oh, how about this? Alyssa Knight, who was the voice of Eve, is not even an actress, but just a regular employee of Pixar. Yeah, she was just brought in just to do the temp voice, and they kept it. And they just ended up using it, yeah. Uh, let me see. What else have we got here? First instance of Pixar using feature-length film using live action. Okay, okay, I'll explain that. So you see, like, you see, like, the president and live action, and you see, I think it's oh, Hello yes, Dolly, the movie yes, that's playing. Oh, yes, the, the yes, the video of the human president. Yes, yes, they integrated mm-hmm. that yeah, with this the, is the first time. This is the first time in a Pixar movie that has live action footage along with the animation and the reason they did that was because they wanted that old hello dolly to be an inspiration for wally so they put that in the movie and they actually like re-edited that a bit so to focus on like the hand holding but when they did that they were like well we can do like Uh they were gonna do that of course in animation they were like well we have hello dolly already in this movie live action so we may as well just do the president from 700 years in the past also eyes live action. So that's how that got, got started. So now right. you have both those sequences are live action meshed with animation. Okay, here's a really fun fact that I just found out. The name Wally is a tip of the hat to Walter Elias Disney. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I love it. That That's clever. That's really, really clever. Like, I know that there's an acronym behind Wally's actual name, but... 
that's uh, that's pretty clever. Also, um, his pet cockroach from back home on Earth was nicknamed Hal by Pixar artists in reference to silent film producer Hal Roach from 2001 A Space yeah. Odyssey. I love it. Yeah, that's clever. That's really clever. Okay, I'm gonna try and find the ones that are spoilers because this is like, oh my god, and also like five pages about the roach. They had some. I think I believe they had some pushback from some of the employees. They were like, I don't know about putting a roach in like a main role in this movie, but like they took it. They took it as a challenge to like make a roach cute. Oh, okay. Let me see. Ooh, this is interesting. According to Andrew Stanton's director commentary, the names and character likeness of past Axiom captains are from Pixar writing team members. The years listed for each mm. caption seems to be their term of service, not their lifespan, since there is no overlap of years. The average term of service is 135 years. The total years wow. add up to 666. Jeez. <laughs> oh, the Axiom's a doomed ship, my friend. Uh, within the portraits, Otto develops from a small light and becomes brighter with each succeeding captain. Yeah, we were talking about the obesity rate increasing with each succeeding picture, but did you notice that Otto gets closer and closer with each image? It's as if his yeah. influence is like steadily increasing and increasing as the captains progress throughout their generational lifespans. It's it's all that stuff is just like there. You have to kind of notice it. It's not you know not in your face, but it's 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 just so great. There's a lot of subtleties. There's a lot of subtleties, and also I found it interesting that you know one of the robots that seemed to be like one of the chief helpers on the ship ended up turning out to be the villain of sorts. You know the the other interesting thing is you don't have somebody like Syndrome. As the villain, you know, like, oh gosh, here it is. This is the bad guy. You don't have somebody like Sid the Kid. This is the antagonist. You've just got a a robot who's following protocol, and that protocol includes never returning to Earth. Like, that's his overriding mission, his overriding goal. And the captain interprets it as mutiny, and sometimes we may interpret it as mutiny, but it's it's also rather ambiguous to me because even though, yes, he's doing the things that go against our protagonist's ultimate goal, which is trying to get back to Earth, he's just following orders, you know? And, and it shows, like, again, the ridiculous of this movie. The, the, the main villain is a steering wheel. Okay, when you put it that way. I mean, it's true. Ugh, that's just such a weird thing to say. And it does get kind of crazy during, like, the finale when, like, everybody's kind of teetering and tottering and going back and forth through the main promenade area. And, like, the the kids, like, the little babies have, like, gotten away. And, yeah. and uh, what's her name? I know, I know the other guy's name is John because John Ratzenberger voiced him. They got really clever yeah. and original with their names, didn't they? <laughs> Got to have that 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 obligatory John Ratzenberger cameo in there. Yeah, of course, oh, of course. Couldn't, you couldn't do. have a Pixar movie without it. But yeah, they were. It was very on the nose this time. He's playing a human named John. Uh, man, he's one of those people that I would love to meet to just talk about his career because Pixar movies. Obviously, he was in Star Wars. He was in yep. Cheers. Like John Ratzenberger is somebody I would absolutely love to interview one of these days. 
but uh, he's he's just he's just this guy that's like there's certain actors that are like in everything. Like, how do you go from Star Wars to Cheers to Pixar movies? How do you do that, John Ratzenberger? I, that is I amazing. Know. I don't know. But here's a here's a fun fact that I did not know until I looked at the cast list. Kathy and Jimmy is the voice of Mary, and I wow. I know her from a I know her from a couple of other productions. But the ship's computer, all of the you know when when uh, when when the captain is like computer define Earth define dancing that kind of stuff. You know who voices the ship's computer? I don't think so. Sigourney Weaver. Oh yes. <laughs> Ripley from the Alien franchise is the computer voice in Wally. How that funny is, is that? She uh, she's Ripley from I Alien. I believe it's she's supposed Gwen to be a DeMarco. nod to uh, to the computer in Alien. I think They're probably for there. probably. But this isn't her only appearance in the Pixar universe. Oh really? She's she's also the automated voice that we hear at the aquarium in Finding Dory. Oh yeah, I think I remember that too. <laughs> and uh, and she's also like one of the main bad guys in uh, the Defenders. Alexandra, man, we need yeah, to do like a is. whole ep- we need to do like a whole episode dedicated to Sigourney Weaver sometime because she's had a phenomenal career. I'm gonna make a prediction right now. I think one day she's gonna end up in Star Wars. I would love that, dude. I would I would so love that. Like I've always thought that she could be like a distant cousin of Princess Leia or something like that. Or maybe a political adversary or something like that, but somebody who mm-hmm. she respected. You know, you, you kind of have that a little bit with Admiral Holdo in The Last Jedi. You could totally get somebody like Sigourney Weaver to play a similar role in in a future Star Wars movie. I would Like, totally... who would ever thought Laura Dern would end up in Star Wars? Like, we've had so many unexpected castings lately, so... Who knows? Yeah, I mean, uh, Dominic Monaghan is going to be in Episode Nine, apparently. Dominic Monaghan, he's from uh, from Lord of the Rings, and he's Charlie on Lost. He's yeah, he's, he's be got in, he's uh, got some connections to J.J. Abrams, that's for sure. He was on an interview with Larry King, I think it was, and he just talked about how big of a fan he is, and then he showed off his Star Wars tattoo. Did you know he's got a Star Wars tattoo? Is this the first time a Star Wars actor? is going to act in a Star Wars movie with a Star Wars tattoo. I have no idea. Like, that's a pretty big deal. That would be something worth looking into. I have, I honestly have no idea. But yeah, Because, he's, he's... I mean, think about it, though. I mean, you, you have to, like, a lot of the actors, I don't think, were, like, huge Star Wars fans before going into it. So, like, well, I mean, especially mean, not before, Mark Hamill. Bef- yeah, I mean, I was about to say, before he was cast in A New Hope, Mark Hamill had never seen a Star Wars movie. Yeah, that guy <laughs> slacking. <laughs> I love those memes. They're so stupid. <laughs> oh because man, I've had... people use people legitimately use that as a like. Well, they've never seen Star Wars. They were in a Star Wars fan, so they can't be in Star Wars. Like, well, what had happened to Mark Harrison and Carrie? Like, they weren't Star Wars fans before they weren't Star Wars. Give me a break. Obviously. Oh, it's... Okay. Well, okay. There, there's one other thing that I want to talk about before we get into things like favorite character and uh, and our closing thoughts and the quote of the night and all that sort of stuff. Of course. And um, that that would be. Um, that Wally, while it's a great movie on its own, it also proved to be a uh, inspiration, if you will, for another movie that came out in 2016. And I may have given a review of it or a small review of it at one point. I saw it with my buddy Parker. We just went out for a day. 
to go uh, to go see something other than Rogue One. I had seen Rogue One like six times in six days or something like that. Like it was a crazy amount, and I was like, okay, I've been on Star Wars binge for a while, but I've also been intrigued by this movie. I went out and saw Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence in the movie Passengers. Have oh. you have you seen this movie or have you seen the trailers for it by any chance? I am vaguely aware of it. I saw the trailers. I did not actually see the movie, but yeah, I remember. I remember seeing it, the trailers and everything. So the the Wikipedia says it's a science fiction romance film uh, starring Lawrence and Pratt as Aurora Lane and Jim Peterson or Jim Preston, excuse me. But it's also got Michael Sheen and Lawrence Fishburne in supporting roles. Uh, two people who are awakened 90 years too early from induced hibernation on a spaceship transporting thousands of passengers traveling to a distant colony. It was originally written in 2007, but was kept in development hell, with multiple actors attached throughout the course of the years. Finally, in December of 2014, Sony Pictures picked up the film's rights and cast Pratt and Lawrence to be the stars. So this is a this is an idea that's been around since 2007. Wally came out in 2008. <laughs> so. I'm wondering who borrowed from whom because I found a blog post that lists literally, let me see, 16, 17 similarities between Wally and the movie Passengers. I'm going to, I'm going to read a few of them if I, if I may, just to, oh, just to, just to prove my point. Um, so point number one that this blog post called big escapades.blogspot.com makes is that it is set in a luxurious starship that carries the human colony sponsored by a multi-billionaire company. In Passengers, it's the Homestead Company. In Wally, it's by and large. The ship's names are very similar. In Wally, it's the Axiom, A-X-I-O-M. On Passengers, the ship name is the Avalon, A-V-A-L-O-N. Uh, similar music vibe and composition... But that's not surprising, because the composer is exactly the same person. Are you kidding me? Thomas Newman was the composer for both Wally and Passengers. Oh my god. Both Eve and Aurora are depicted to be charming, sleek, and elegant, which is the first reason that both Wally and Jim are attracted to them. Point number five. The guy character is of a lower class, and the girl comes from a higher class. In Passengers, Jim is of a lower class, seeing limited breakfast options. Aurora is a gold-class member and has more luxury. In Wally, obviously, our star is a forgotten scavenger on Earth, and Eve is a highly equipped advanced probe droid with a very special purpose. Wow. I mean, I could go on and on. The guy hides when the girl first appears. Jim, you know, out of guilt, runs and hides from, you know, the, the, the guilt of waking up Aurora. And in Wally, he's hiding behind a rock when Eve lands to Earth. Uh, they become friends outside and and go on a on a floating date. In Passengers, they literally put on spacesuits and go out into space, and they have like an entire date outside the ship, just spending time together, looking at the stars. In <laughs> Wally, we've got the defined dancing sequence, where they're both outside the ship, flying around together. Uh, let me see. What else have we got? 
The guy gives the girl a plant, and the plant proves to be important later in the film. In Passengers, Jim plants a tree in the middle of the Grand Concourse for Aurora. Ninety years later, it's a giant tree that the passengers all wake up to at the very end of the film. Obviously, in Wally, he gives the plant to Eve so that she can save the day. Uh, let me see. Let me see. What else have we got? Both Wally and Eve and Jim and Aurora are perceived as Adam and Eve figures from the Guardian. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. That that's pretty evident. Uh, the ship landings are associated with the passengers interacting with the plants and trees. In Passengers, they wake up stunned to find the garden that Jim and Aurora have grown, which starts out smaller from the original tree. At the end of Wally, the captain is teaching the passengers how to plant a tree using the original tree as an example. Um, they also make friends with creatures that are not their own. In Passengers... They have an android named Arthur that is kind of like the buffer dude that they bounce ideas off of and serves as comic relief. And then we've got the comedic relief cockroach in Wally that randomly pops up at different intervals in the movie. So, I mean, that's just a few. That's just a few of the examples. I mean, Homestead wow. and by and large, Avalon, Axiom, uh, being, being forgotten and lower class. Uh, I mean... The, the the dancing sequences outside of the ship was obviously like the biggest thing for me as soon as i saw the two of them get in their suits and go out and like dance amongst the stars in space i'm like holy crap this is wally part two this is like live action wally so basically if i'm understanding this correctly passengers is a bad remake of wally Okay, so I won't call it bad. It's just not the best movie of 2016. It's, and it's not definitely not the memorable. best space movie I've ever seen. Uh, Chris Pratt does a much better job as Star-Lord than he does as Jim. Right. As far as space movies is concerned. I feel like he and Jennifer Lawrence have pretty good chemistry. But it's a borrowed plot. And you're using the same composer from Wally. Passengers, in my mind, is essentially Castaway meets Wally. What's his name? Arthur the Android is essentially Wilson from mm-hmm, Castaway. Mm-hmm. He's he's the guy that you that you talk to even though he's not real. And at one point Jim grows like this big ass beard that looks exactly like Tom Hanks's from Castaway. But then there are certain moments that resemble more like Wally because it's a generational shit because mm-hmm. uh because it, they're like the only two ones that live on this entire thing. Uh, you know, they're, they're isolated. It's just the two of them. So that is a little bit different from Wally because instead of, you know, having like a, a, a large generational ship, everybody's in cryosleep. So, I mean, there are some differences, but there's a lot of very glaring similarities as well. Yeah, I, I think, like, I always like the premise of Passengers, and maybe one day I'll actually get a chance to watch it because, like, it, it does sound maybe interesting. Maybe we'll actually review it on the show sometime. Maybe we'll actually get to talk about it in depth. I would totally watch it again. Like, the visuals are really nice, the music's really nice, and like I said, Pratt and Lawrence have good chemistry. Actually, for a while, TMZ was speculating that it was Pratt and Lawrence filming together that led to the anxiety and the separation of him and Anna Faris. Ah. Oh. That sucks. Like that there were sucks. there were rumors there were rumors floating around that they were getting a little too chummy on set, and that's part of what led to Pratt and Ferris's split. Because that would be that would be like the first like because I mean if you think about it, Chris Pratt has not had that many roles in like big films. 
He did Guardians. He did Jurassic World. He did Passengers and maybe a couple other things. But other than that, like, he's been mostly, like, TV, comedy, stuff like that. And that was, like, the first yep. big role where he had, like, a rom- or, like, a truly, like, romantic love interest. Like, he had a thing going with Gamora. He had a thing going with uh, Bryce Dallas Howard. But, like, that was his first, like, really big thing. So it sucks, but it also, like, makes sense that, like, you know, and and even as a kid, I used to remember, like, like, how do they do that? Like, you know, how do they separate, like, reality from, like, stuff when, you know, and there's been plenty of instances where that actors have gotten together on sets. Steven Spielberg yeah. met his wife. Um, uh, I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but the, the lead in Temple of Doom ended up being his wife, still is his wife to his day. He met on set. Um, and uh, there was another one I was thinking of. I can't remember. Um, but there's been plenty of instances of that. So, like, you know, that... But, obviously, Lawrence and him aren't together now, so I guess that wasn't really Right, true. they're not together now, so I don't feel like there was much bias to that. I mean, TMZ will report literally anything. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah, totally. Like, those, those, kinds, of, those kinds of speculative rumors are thrown around a dime a dozen. So, I mean, I'm taking it all with a grain of salt. It, I just think it's more convenient that you know that movie and that that stage of production was happening around the time that they were having their tension but i mean at the same time they were filming passengers probably somewhere around 2014 2015 and that's when he was starting to get fame as star lord from when guardians of the galaxy came out in 2014 so i mean i feel like that may have been the beginning of the end just in general because as soon as his popularity took off he was in great demand and he was all over the place and he didn't get to be at home as much and so I mean, there was probably a lot of factors involved. Maybe Anna Faris just but, saw the movie and was like, I don't know if this is real or not, and she was just creeped out by it. Who knows, man? Who knows? I don't want to get into you were talking about you were, you were talking about his, uh, his filmography. I went and just looked him up real quick. I mean, did you know that he was in Moneyball in 2011? I think I heard that before. He was, I, I vaguely he remember was that. In, he was in Zero Dark Thirty in 2012. What? I didn't know that. And, yeah... I didn't either. He he plays a character named Justin in Zero Dark Thirty, and then there's a, there's a few movies he was in in 2013, like Movie 43 and uh, Her. But that was that movie with was it um, Joaquin Phoenix? Walk, that was the Joaquin Phoenix movie. Where yeah, I he think had it was a, Scarlett a, Johansson played the the AI that was like his love interest. Yes, yes. How did yes. I remember that? Apparently, Chris Pratt had had a had a bit of a bit role in that movie. Yeah, he was yeah. Uh, he was a character named Paul in that film. Apparently, hmm. I've never seen it, so no, I have no clue. But uh, yeah, he was also in the Magnificent Seven in 2016. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let me see. He's going to be in a movie called The Kid that's coming out this year. I've really? never heard of it. And there's also there's I've been hearing about uh, what is it? Oh, pirate. Pirate Ninja, oh. Cowboy Pirate Ninja or something, where he's going to be playing the lead in that. It's not, it sounds ridiculous, but it sounds also awesome. Oh, this is interest. This is interesting. It's a it's a Western drama that is starring and directed by Vincent D'Onofrio. Really? Uh, stars Chris Pratt, D'Onofrio, Ethan Hawke, Dane DeHaan, and Adam Baldwin. Uh, Adam Baldwin from Firefly? Really? That Adam oh Baldwin? Oh my gosh. Wow. That Adam Baldwin. Vincent D'Onofrio, Chris Pratt, and Adam Baldwin are the stars of this movie. Wow, what is the movie? Holy... Cr- 
Uh, it's uh, it's apparently the story of a young boy who witnesses Billy the Kid's encounter with Sheriff Pat Garrett. Huh. So Vincent D'Onofrio is going to be the sheriff. Ethan Hawke is going to be Pat Garrett. Adam Baldwin is going to be Bob Olinger, one of the one of the main characters, and Dane DeHaan is going to be Billy the Kid. Wow. Interesting. That's crazy. So we're getting a little bit of fun facts about Chris Pratt because we talked about Passengers because Passengers reminds us of Wally. <laughs> There's the train. Long gotta, way gotta down get that back rabbit on hole. The, gotta get back on the trail just a little bit. Uh, let's let's talk about favorite character from the film because as we mentioned, it's not a very big cast list, but there are some really intriguing characters and some some interesting plot developments. I mean, we haven't even talked on characters like Mo, the obsessive compulsive cleaner, <laughs> you know, uh, the one that, that encounters foreign contaminants. We we've barely talked about the the beautician droids that will literally just like sit on anything that has a face and try and put rouge and makeup on it like it's it's pretty funny the way that they act but I'm I'm curious are we gonna go with some of the stereotypes like even Wally or are we gonna be going with somebody else who's who's our favorite character in this film I I mean I love a lot of the characters in this movie I love all the characters in this movie but. I mean, I gotta go with Wally, man. Like, Wally is the quintessential. Like, he's the star, and I just love He's every... the one that holds it all together. I love everything about him. I love, you know, it just, there's just so much love that goes into that character, from the sound design to the whole animation of him and, you know, like, the practicality of him and how he works and how he, like, can fold up into a little ball. And he's not, like, it's ridiculous, but it's also, like, he feels real. He feels like a actual you know, robot that could exist. I love that about him. And he's also just got so much heart. And, you know, he's so sympathetic that he's on this planet all alone and that he, you know, keeps going and he's, you know, he's just wanting, he's just wanting some companionship. He he wants to be normal. He wants, he wants a friend. Um, and, you know, he's just, it's so, so heartwarming. And he's so, so he's, he's adorable. He, he, Awali is absolutely adorable. And, you know, I could watch, like, you know, those opening scenes with him just doing random stuff with the, with the ping pong racket and stuff like that. Like, it's just, it's so great. It is. And, and I, and I love his ship. Like I, I honestly, that's one of my favorite parts of the entire movie is his collection of doodads that he's got. Like I collect things and yeah. most of the time they're things that not very many other people collect. Like I collect DVDs. I collect, uh, t-shirts. I collect hats. Um, You've seen my hat collection. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, let me see. What else do I collect? I'm looking around my room trying to figure out what I what else I collect. Um, sometimes I collect books. It depends on the book. It's not like a super obsessive thing, but I do realize that I'm either going to need a house one of these days that's got like shelves built into it, or I'm going to need like a separate room that I just call my library, and I'll have books on one side and movies on the other side. That's how many I've got. <laughs> Like, I collect the heck out of these things. It's not even funny. I mean, cause, and that's also relatable, that, you know, you're in, like, there's so much good, people throw out so much good stuff, especially when there's nobody left on the planet and they've thrown everything away. Um, Like, you know, yeah, I'd be totally the same as Wally. Like, I, you, eventually you'd be like, someone threw this out? Hey, no way, I'm keeping this. Like, you'd, you'd totally be like right. that with Wally. Yeah, no, I mean, okay, so here's the interesting thing. If he's the last one that's still functional on Earth, does that make Wally 
a collector's item? Totally. I'd say totally. I, I would think so. I, I would think that because of how unique and original and how he's like the last one left. I mean, obviously he's not in mint condition anymore, but the fact that he's the last remaining one of his kind, until somebody else fixes up another one, he's the only one. Yeah. That's it. I think for me, I got to go with Eve. I, I, I love the captain. Don't get me wrong. I think I think the captain is a great addition to the cast, but I think for 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 one thing, she starts like like Wally starts to grow on her over time, mm-hmm. and as such, like she starts developing more of a character than what she had at the beginning of the film, and so she's got like a pretty good character arc. By the end of the movie, she's willing to sacrifice herself for Wally and the plant in order to make sure everybody gets home. Like, that's not what Robotic Eve would have done at the beginning of the movie. So Wally ended up changing her. And also, she's got a laser gun built into her right arm. She's like, a badass. Holy crap, that's super badass. Like, I I love a lot of the elements about Eve. But uh, just the just the fact that, that she grows and develops, even though she's a robotic character. And, like, the moment, like I mentioned earlier, when she is looking back over her old logs and she realizes just how much he did for her i felt like that was like her turning point when she realized that there was somebody else out there willing to go to those kinds of links for her and it it moved her it changed her and it made her a really great character oh yeah totally it it just and you're and you're fascinated with her along with wally like you don't know anything about her and you you begin to put the pieces together as she's doing her thing and, you know, also kind of terrified of her because, you know, she will, just, yeah. she will just blow up. Like, she just blows up a bunch of ships, like, no problem. Like, she's got so much firepower. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's she's pretty awesome. Yeah. She's she's really awesome. I, I really enjoy this movie, man. Like, I want to go back and watch it again now. Um, final thoughts? Final, final, final impressions uh, for, for me? It's it's a very underrated movie. I don't feel like it gets the recognition it deserves a lot of the time. I know it got recognition from our listeners who submitted stuff in the top fives, uh-huh. but I, I don't feel like it gets the respect that it deserves a lot of the time. When people are talking about Pixar movies, their defaults become the likes of Toy Story, The Incredibles, maybe even Finding Nemo, uh, Monsters, Inc. You know, We've talked about a lot of the classics, but this is one of those underrated greats that deserves a lot of respect because it's different, because it's innovative, because it's a lot truer to life than what we would expect with, you know, talking insects or something like that in A Bug's Life. This this felt a little bit more real. This felt a little bit more close to home. And as such, it stands out in the Pixar universe for me. And I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, it surprised me. Even as much like I, this was one of the ones I was really excited about because I had never seen Wally prior to doing this show, and I already heard about it a lot. You know, I've been in, I've been in Disney World a dozen times. Like, you know, I, I've always heard about Wally. I've seen the trailers. I've seen about the movie, but never actually sat down to watch it. And it just totally intrigued me. And but it still like surprised me like how great it is. It's so wonderful. It's such a it's a beautiful piece of film. It, you know it. Like so many of the other films, it shows how great these movies can be without, you know, just the, the putting it down as like, oh, it's a cartoon, it's an animated movie. No, this is a freaking movie, 
and it is amazing. It is beautiful, and it's got so much heart and so much humor. And like I said, it really is like up there with my favorite, probably probably favorite all time movies. To be honest, like I'm I'm trying like in my head trying to figure wow. out like what are my all time favorite movies. And like a lot of Pixar movies would be in it. I've just got to figure out like what is my favorite Pixar movie. This this might be a rival for Finding Nemo. Finding Nemo has always been my favorite Pixar movie, but Wally might Wally might dethrone it. I'm not I'm not saying anything just yet. I, I got to watch a few more times. I've lived with Finding Nemo for so long that I have to give some Wally some time. Yeah. But to be fair, but yeah. like it's it's amazing. It's such a great film, and I can't wait to watch it again and show it to some people too that I know haven't seen it yet. And I'm like, where have you been? Like this is amazing. Yeah. So if it's rivaling Finding Nemo, I'm guessing the Planet score is also going to be rivaling Finding Nemo's score. Is that is that a safe bet? I would say, I would say that I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it a nine point five out of ten. For right now, nine point five. For okay. right now, we'll okay. see how it changes. I got I got to watch a few more times to see how I truly feel about it. But this, I mean, and I'm being like very conservative because. Like, I want to give it a 10 out of 10, but I don't feel like that's fair right now. So I want to kind of give some time, but it really, like, I have no qualms with this movie whatsoever. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, Wally, when we did our top five Pixar films, cracked in as an honorable mention for me. Uh, my top fives included Up at number five, Incredibles at number four, Coco at number three. Monsters, Inc. at number two, and Toy Story at number one. And I feel like I still need to stand by that. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I there, there's a lot of great Pixar movies out there. It is. Not gonna lie. And I think the, the heartfelt moments in, in Up supersede the heartfelt moments that I got from Wally. But you haven't even seen Up yet, have you? Um, no, I have not. Okay, well, that's another one. We're gonna have to do, like, another Pixar sometimes and, like, talk about some of the more underrated Pixar films like Ratatouille and Up and maybe uh, Bugs Life, something like that. Maybe we'll do another Pixar. Might have to keep all the results from our top five stuff handy so that we can kind of gauge what you guys are want us to he- want to hear us talk about first. Yeah, yep, absolutely. But with that being said, I still stand by those different rankings of my top fives, and I'm going to keep Wally at an honorable mention. Uh, Monsters, Inc., I gave a 9.4. Finding Nemo, I gave a 9.0. I would consider Finding Nemo kind of along the same lines of what I would give to uh, Wally as my honorable mention, so I'm going to give it a 9.0. Yeah. A 9.0 for Wally from me and a 9.5 from Ben. Both very respectable numbers. Both very, uh, very deserved, I would think. Totally. So, um... This was not a live production. We actually recorded this episode early, so we can't get the results from live listeners for this episode, but if you send it to us on social media at IPC Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, we will try and compile them in time for our next episode. Mm -hmm. So send us your planet score for the movie WALL-E, or if you want to send us your planet scores from anything from the entire Pixar, whether that's Monsters, Inc., or Finding Nemo, or this one here, WALL-E, Shoot them our way, and we will try and add those and compile them in post and see what kind of numbers we come up with. Mm-hmm, definitely. You can also follow us personally on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me at Zach underscore DFW. You can find Ben at Ben Hart with no E. Just spell that out phonetically. You can listen to previous episodes on demand on iTunes, Google Play, and Podbean, but you can also find them 
on StarWarsUnderworld.com. So please give us a subscription, leave a rate and review, all that good stuff. But if you want to stay in touch with all of our most recent episodes, go subscribe to us at ipcpodcast.podbean.com. That's the best way to keep up with most recent episodes. Um, And if you want to be a patron, you can go find that as well on that site or go to patron.podbean.com forward slash ipcpodcast. A special thank you to our current patrons such as Joey Mays, Katie Horn, Jake Damon, Rachel Perry, and Dan Grievous. You guys keep us going. You know, we got to pay for the Podbean subscription. We got to pay for things like our Netflix and Hulu subscriptions. And you guys are what's keeping us afloat right now. So we uh, we cannot thank you enough. We appreciate everything that you've done for us. We're still looking to grow, though. Uh, with AMC A-List, we're looking into the possibility of subscribing to AMC A-List so that we're not having to pay for the movie tickets out of pocket quite so often. So if you're interested in helping contribute to that cause... Let us know, and we will get you set up, because we kind of need all the help we can get. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, but you're, you're helping us enough, But and, and you know, you guys have every reason to do it. Not only are you supporting a show, you get some awesome exclusives, um, and all kinds of stuff. And, you yeah, know, we'll, true. We'll, we'll hopefully be, you know, in the future, once we get kind of our, our feet off the ground and start doing more stuff, we can do even more stuff. And give you even more exclusives yep. and stuff that, yep. you know, will make it definitely more than worth your money. Speaking of exclusives, I can confirm that there is a uh, new episode of R.I.P.C. on the way. Yeah. I spent some time with my buddy Parker, and we just kind of shot the breeze for a little while, and uh, it turned into a really fun episode, almost two hours in length, actually. Like, it's a super long episode, but it's it's super fun. So if you want an extended RIPC episode talking about all kinds of different things, then be sure to go find us on on our patron page Mm -hmm. over over there at Podbean, uh, patron.podbean.com slash IPC podcast. And also, we have IPC swag on tpublic.com slash user slash IPC podcast. My stuff finally arrived. Finally arrived. Nice. I've had my stickers for a while, but I finally got my swag, and I gotta say, the baseball t-shirt is awesome. The hoodie is really, really warm and soft. I'm gonna be wearing the heck out of that when the weather starts turning colder. Um, I got a really vibrant, bright orange t-shirt with the blue logo, like the Blue Planet logo in the top corner. It's got like my school colors. My school colors are blue, white, and orange, and so I'm gonna wear that on campus. And the cool thing is, you can pick. Any kind of shirt, any kind of, of, uh, of hoodie or sweatshirt, you can choose either of our two main logos, you can choose any of the different color schemes that they've got on their palette, and about 17 to 18% of whatever you purchase goes right back to IPC. So mm-hmm. if you want some IPC swag and you want to contribute to the show, that's an excellent way to do it as well. Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, well, we got all of that stuff out of the way, but we do also still have the uh, quote of the night that we need to cover, don't we? Yes, we do. I got a, got, got a little bit ahead of myself just a bit there, but uh, this is actually a really, good, this is a really good quote for something that is like 50, 60, 70% uh, just automation and beeps and, uh, and maybe like the occasional spoken word. It's so visually oriented, mm-hmm. but... This is actually a pretty good sequence. It actually does have some dialogue in it, and so we're gonna we're gonna play that for you now. I'm gonna shut up, and we're gonna turn it over to tonight's quote of the night. Otto, he found the plant. Fire up the hollow detector. 
not necessarily Captain. You may give it to me. You know what? I should do it myself. Captain. Sir, I insist you give me the plan. Otto, get out of my way. We cannot go home. What are you talking about? Why not? That is classified. Captain, give me the plan. What do you mean classified? You don't keep secrets from the captain. Give me the plan. Tell me what's classified. The plan. Tell me, Otto! That's an order! Aye, aye, sir. Toxicity levels have made life unsustainable on Earth. Unsustainable? What? Uh, darn it all, we're gonna have to cancel Operation Recolonize. So, uh, just stay the course. Um, rather than try and fix this problem, it'll just be easier for everyone to remain in space. Easier? Mr. President, uh, sir, I think. Sir, uh, huh? Topical. Okay, I'm giving override uh, Directive A113. Go to full autopilot, take control of everything, and do not return to Earth. Repeat, do not return to Earth. Let's get the heck out of here. No. The plan. No. Wait a minute. Computer, when was that message sent out to the Axiom? Message received in the year 2110. That's, uh, that's nearly 700 years ago. Otto, things have changed! We've gotta go back! Sir, orders are, do not return to Earth. But life is sustainable now! Look at this plant! Green and growing! It's living proof he was wrong! Irrelevant, Captain. What? It's completely relevant! Out there is our home! Home, Otto! And it's in trouble! I can't just sit here and, and do nothing! That's all I've ever done! That's all anyone on this blasted ship has ever done! Nothing! On the axiom, you will survive. I don't want to survive! I want to live! Well, there you have it, folks. We're almost done for the night. That was our quote of the night. It's a really great quote, by the way. It's a really great sequence oh, yeah. that adds a lot of intrigue to the movie. It's finally when things kind of start to kick it up a notch and you realize that there's some conflicting perspectives and conflicting opinions on what to do with the Axiom and what to do with the crew. Uh, it, it, it adds a lot of depth to the captain's character, which is why I considered him for my favorite character because he grows a lot in this movie as well as he starts learning more about Earth, as he starts learning more about his duties as captain. It, uh, it becomes like a coming-of-age ceremony for him as well, to a certain degree. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's great for him and kind of him kind of learning the truth finally after all these years. And it's also, it's a bit creepy, to be honest. Like, when you get that message from the president saying, like, uh, the things didn't work out, uh, just go full auto and go into space and don't come back. Like, it's it's got a bit of a darkness to it, as with a lot of this movie does. So, like, it's a bit like... You know, it's 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 kind of sad, and uh, you know, ultimately, this is a turning point for this whole thing to finally go back to Earth. That's true. It's very true, and I love when they finally do make it back to Earth, and I, and I really like the the end credits music. 
Well, I mean, I'm just a fan of of the of the band Genesis in general. Peter Gabriel and and uh, Tim Tim Collins. Uh, uh, did, uh, I, did I get that? Um, Phil Collins. Phil Collins. Why did I say Tim? <laughs> Why did I say Tim? It's funny. I knew Tim was wrong, but I couldn't think of Phil. So I'm like, wait, wait, what I is it? I couldn't think of Phil. I'm like, is it Tim? No, it's Phil. How did I get that wrong? I keep talking about being a big fan of the band Genesis, and then I call him Tim Collins. Okay, I don't deserve to be a fan of the band anymore. Um, Phil Collins but, must have uh, a really good relationship with Disney because he, he's done a lot of music for them. He did the, the, the soundtrack he, for Tarzan yeah, way back in the day. Yeah, he did. And then uh, Peter Gabriel... His uh, his cohort came in and did the end credit song for this one, but I think Phil might have helped him with it. I don't I don't know for sure, but yeah, I don't either. It's a great ending to the film. It's like if after all the darkness, after all the despair, you finally have that that little snippet of possibility of happily ever after. And the the end credit sequence is all about like showing them rebuilding and the green coming back and all this kind of stuff. It's very yep. it's really great. It's 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 really fun. It's 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 like a. It's like an encouraging moment at the end of all this uncertainty, so mm-hmm. I, I enjoy that. Uh, you know what else I enjoy? I enjoy talking about food. Mm-hmm. I think it's finally time mm-hmm. that we talk about food, don't you think? Absolutely. I, I think it. I think it's that time again, and, and I, I hope after all this time you, you remember what it was you were going to talk about, because all we've got listed for this is barbecue with Ben, so we'll see what happens. We'll just wing it. We'll just see what but, happens. Oh, I see what you did there. You're just going to wing it. Ah. <laughs> okay, folks, get out your hashtags. Put them in the chat. Put them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and everything else that might carry a hashtag. Because it's time for everybody's favorite part of the show one more time. It is time for hashtag BBQ Watch. Barbecue. 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 Barbecue, 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 barbecue extravaganza well i haven't done a review in a quite a little while of a restaurant and i don't like it's review time it's review time it's review time so like earlier tonight i went to a place and you know i don't i don't eat barbecue a whole lot i mean i know it it may seem freaky and weird but i i just don't it's not like normally when i go out i find other food to eat because I create barbecue for a living, so like, you know, it's not it's not necessarily my favorite favorite food, at least outside of thing. Even though I do enjoy barbecue a lot, and occasionally we will go out and find another place to eat at. And I don't, I'm I'm kind of weird about reviews because I don't like, because a lot of times it's not as great as I want it to be, and I don't want to like bash a place, but also like I want to raise up this uh thing so i'm gonna focus on the good with this and i want to mention this place called slap your mama's barbecue they are what slap your mama's wait wait what (laughs) what stop i I gotta stop you right there hold up slap your mama's yes yes slap your mama's barbecue so are you supposed to slap your mama with the barbecue or is this barbecue so good it makes you want to slap your mama I, I, for the record, I did not slap my mother. Um, I am not. Thank a, you. I'm not. 
I, that's not, she would, she would totally slap me back and probably then some. Um, so I didn't do that, but uh, I didn't do what the sign said, but I did go eat to this place and it's actually, it's right on the Gulf of Mexico in Biloxi, Mississippi and uh, nice little place way up in the air because you know, hurricanes take things out, so they have to build things way up in the air. Nice little place. Um, and I had my personal favorite. It's a pork sandwich. Surprise, surprise. My favorite okay. my favorite thing. I had the pork sandwich. And it's a bit different than what I'm used to because, um, for one, I do like it. I do like it when it's kind of dry. The pork is kind of dry, but it has sauce on top of it, so it's not soaking in it. Um, I do like that style. But this had something else to it. This had it was really a really nice, really nice bun, and it also had onion strings on it. Whoa! Really good, really good. Were they like fried onions, or fried, were they like, like grilled or like, sautéed? Like fry, like like onion ring, like fried onion ring, but like onion strings. Like really thin onions. Wow. Really good. And added a great little flavor to it. I like onions anyway on anything, but like especially that and you know, I, I like you know I've gotten the I've talked about it before. I go to Steak and Shake, which is a great burger place around here. And I get the West Yeah, we got a couple of them around yeah, here. They're yeah. pretty good. If you ever... they got good prices too. Mm-hmm. I really like how inexpensive they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Uh, my favorite there is the Western Bacon Barbecue, which is you know, your standard, you know, uh, meat, you've got cheese, you've got uh, barbecue sauce, and you've got onions on it. Really, and it's also got bacon. It's in the name, kind of. Um, but that's really good. <laughs> this is kind of like a, in the direction of that, but with barbecue. So I really, really enjoyed it. It was a really good sandwich. And, you know, it, uh, you know, they got a lot of other good stuff there, but, you know, I want to give them a shout-out for a pretty darn good barbecue sandwich. Man, you're making me hungry now. <laughs> it's been a while since I've had barbecue. Actually, I, I, I don't. I can I recall the last time I had barbecue? That's a really sad statement for a Texan. That is. That is. You should be ashamed can of I rem- yourself. Can I remember? I, I need. I need to fix this. I must fix this. <laughs> it's a kind of weird because there's a barbecue place like two miles away from where I live. Oh, then you have no excuse then. I know. I really don't. I go to the Whataburger and I'll go to the Chick Fil A that's right across the street, but I won't go to the other place. I, I don't. Okay, here's the deal. As far as barbecue goes, it's okay, but it's not like I'm willing to pay twelve, fifteen bucks for a barbecue meal that is subpar. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'll. I, I I may just need to go to go to a Spring Creek or something and get myself a chopped beef sandwich fix yeah. that remedy that yeah, you should. the other problem is my dinner times have been happening like after the hours of 10 p.m just because of how crazy my work schedule is and uh most barbecue places are closed by then so uh, uh i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to figure something out but uh we'll probably need to save that for another time for now i think it's time to call it did we uh, did we finally get everything in that we needed to get in i think we covered everything i'm very pleased with the discussion i think we did I had, a, had, a, had, a, had a really good time talking about wally i've looked forward to this to a very long time and finally getting to watch this movie and discuss this movie was a lot of fun and i can't wait to talk about more pixar in the near future yeah we're gonna have to bring back the pixar because this has definitely been a really popular series and uh we're going to be continuing with some other popular stuff just uh, not too far down the road, so stay tuned for that. Stay tuned for the publication of an episode of RIPC, and uh, make sure to go find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at IPC Podcast to stay up to date on everything that's going on here with the Intergalactic Peace Coalition. But for now, I think we're going to put this one to bed, literally and figuratively. 
Episode 203 is now officially in the books. Thank you for tuning in. For Ben Hart, I'm Zach Arnold. We hope to see you next week. But until then, we just want to leave you with this closing thought. The challenge of hope is to overcome corruption. And we hope to see you next week on IPC. Until then, good night, everyone. Did you think that your feet had been bound By what gravity brings to the ground Did you feel you were tricked By the future you picked Well, come on down All these rules don't apply When you're high in the sky So come on down Come on down We're coming down to the ground There's no better place to go We got snow upon the mountains We got rivers down below We're coming down to the ground We hear the birds sing in the trees And the lamb will be looked after We send the seeds out in the trees Did you think you'd escaped from routine By changing the script and the scene Despite all you made of it, you were always afraid of a change. You got a lot on your chest, well you can come as my guest, so come on down, come on down. We're coming down to the ground, there's no better place to go. We got snow upon the mountains, we got rivers down below. We're coming down. Wow.